And you people, you're all astronauts on some kind of Star Trek. Good afternoon and good night, and welcome to the big episode 60 of Do You Expect Us to Talk? I'm Becca, and always I'm joined by the amazing Chris, Dave, and the fabulous Charlie of Movie Drone. How are you doing? Charlie is good. fucking fabulous. <laughs> fabulous, darling, fabulous. I'm actually yeah. going to fucking miss him. This is Charlie's last for a while. I know, I know this sad. is very bittersweet. Um, and it's our special 60th <clears throat> episode, too. Well, at least he's going to listen now, isn't he? <laughs> it's part of the show, so we've definitely got like a download there. He's gonna miss this between now and when he comes back on. Of, of course, if if only for more references about my beard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, yes, there's sad occasion. Um, obviously, Charlie's last time on the show for now. For now, um, but we've come to the end of our trek through the stars, um, our Star Trek retrospective series. Um, so obviously is. You know, we do our rankings episode. Chris, I'm going to hand it over to you. Oh, is this where we uh, pick out our choices? <laughs> Sorry. Bit of Joe, bit Joe. We make a bold choice. <laughs> Are we allowed to stop taking the piss out of him now? <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> yes, uh, in the tradition. Well, last time we did the Bond films, we kind of started from the bottom and we went around the table, then we just moved the way up. Uh, so um, if you feel like you, you you know another film, like a film you've chosen is, is coming, uh, you can hold off and wait and have the discussion then, or we can talk about it there i think we'll just go with the conversation so um so i've got 13 films is that right that's right yeah yes. okay 13 right. star trek films and uh 14 coming soon so who wants to go first um shall i do you want me to go first or shall i let uh the ladies go first and um and ladies yeah ladies. I, hang on you said ladies and dave I was leading on to a joke there. I said, like, let ladies go Charlie, first. And, uh, yeah, Dave, Charlie you go is well. not short for Charlotte. <laughs> no. <laughs> Davina, as he likes to be called. Uh, and yet we can. But yeah, any, any takers for first? first uh, yeah, let's go with Becca first. The I, right, I have to say at the outset here, when we did the Bond retrospective, uh, which I found easier to rank, by the way, than this... <laughs> Um, I sent these guys my rankings and just went, by the way, this is what I think. And like a few days later, I changed my mind on a couple of things. But more or less, that was it. But by the time we came to actually do the show, they'd forgotten it was weeks later. So, But I never knew what theirs were. Um, none of us know each other's rankings tonight. No, we? we decided to go for a surprise this time and not reveal it, you know, reveal our rankings to, to each other. Um, so yeah, don't laugh. 
Why would we laugh? Unless no, you laugh at our bottom, in which case we will never record with you ever. <laughs> No, that's, that's Final Fantasy in number five. one. <laughs> no, spoiler alert, that's comfortably within my top five. <laughs> so. Alright, so I'm going to start with my number 13 film, right mm-hmm. at the very bottom. Drum roll, please. Unfortunately, it's Nemesis. I yeah, am actually no. I mean, a the, little the, bit surprised. I mean, like, the, the, pro- the problem, yeah, to be honest, I am a little bit, but the, yeah, as, as, me. as Dave uh, has alluded, it, it gets difficult uh, about what your worst Star Trek film is. Because uh, a lot of them kind of like fall on the same. They're fucking really bland. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. So, yeah. so, so, Becca, why do you choose Nemesis? I, I want the next generation movies to be so, so much more than they are. Um, unfortunately, you know, as we said a couple of times in our reviews, you know, another TV movie of the week. Um, and this is just this is the worst of the bunch. I feel so bad saying this. It's just like, because it's you know, next generation is very much. Well, I was going to say my generation that I saw grew up within, you know, in the nineties, and just I think when we get to about position number like ten or something, I'll be okay with the rest of them. But it's just like, Ugh. yeah, yeah I feel kind of the same, Becca, because this is my Star Trek. Yeah. And so to put them right at the bottom, you feel like I must have got that wrong. It's like I felt but, very bad about you know, not, not like Bros, you know, like don't need Bros bashing, but I just I find it quite hard because that's of my generation. It's mm. as you say, it's my yeah. My generation, yeah. <laughs> Voice of an angel. Oh, it's what, not just so, me. <laughs> why is it worth? Why is it worse than the other films on this list? Because I said so. <laughs> well, okay, there enough. you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, Justification. Uh, I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm gonna go next. Cause I think it ties in well with uh, Nemesis. My, my, my worst uh, is, at number thirteen is Insurrection. Uh, yeah. I, I was deciding on it was between two films and one film edged it because it had certain moments and ideas though I don't think it's actually a very good film but Insurrection is a more fluid film but it, it's just boring and it and I think what sealed the deal for me was the fact that you know having the box set and if I was to ever be in a mood ever to watch a Star Trek film Insurrection will probably never be it so that reason alone it's insurrection because it's just so boring <laughs> it's quite dull isn't it i mean it's just generally quite plodding it's like get on with it yeah it looks beautiful but get on with it so frustrating. Uh, i thought you i thought you were going to put that bottom becca because yeah. that was one film you ranted about <laughs> yeah 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 i just I just, it's, it's so much of so much of a letdown really <clears throat> but um it's coming soon it's coming soon all right charlie i guess um mine is utterly predictable um, Star Trek Into Darkness. What? Uh, really? That's controversial. Controversial. <laughs> why, Charlie? Because surely it's all modern and great and shit. <laughs> That's Cumberbatch, you know? But they explain the captain's oath and everything. Yeah, you just nailed it there. Um, it's, it's, it's terrible. And I can comfortably say that I can sit through all of the other Star Trek films relatively comfortably. Um, and this one I can't. This one is, I get, it's a combination of um, frustration um, and anger. It just, yeah, it, it makes me so frustrated um, at how bad it is. Yeah, it's, it's shit. It's really shit. Yeah, I and, mean, 
as like an outsider, as a non-Star Trek fan, I can clearly understand that because while it's all, as Dave says, all shiny and modern and shit, um, it it it's not a very good script matched with anything that you love about Star Trek being gotten absolutely wrong. It's a know. bit of an insult so, to the series as well, yeah. isn't it? So yeah, so I mean, I, it, it's it's not my worst, even though I think it's justifiable um, completely. Uh, but yeah, I can see, yeah, I can see how to a fan such as yourself, Charlie, it would be like the you know the worst of the worst. So yeah, yeah I, I, I totally get that. Having watched it twice in a very short space of time, I can comfortably say that I never ever ever want to see it again. No, sorry to put you through it. <laughs> and as a Star Trek fan, really bad. It's really hard to say. I think we can all politely just ignore it. <laughs> so, um, sorry, oh. Simon Pegg. Um, <laughs> I think he'll survive. <laughs> well, oh, I mean, I, I mean, I, I think if when we started this podcast and for the first dozen episodes or so, Chris used to edit it, edit it, and were he still editing this, my rankings would be different because. I had to I had to listen to myself again talking about these films as I, you know, put together the final edit that you guys listened to. And the film I thought would be bottom isn't because mm. I'm sat here recording them and I think there's one film that I am in, so impassioned about and I think when you compare it to the next film I'm going to talk about I hate it. I clearly hate it. You've only got to listen to me to hear how much I hate it. Whereas the next film I talk about, I'm kind of a little bit like, oh, whatever about. So my number 13, totally against what I was expecting, is Star Trek Into Darkness. Oh. <laughs> I was totally expecting that anyway, Dave. Yeah. I, was, I really I wasn't. wasn't. I, 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 it's a bit like Die Another Day that I think is the worst film in the series but you've got to balance it against like how hard you find it to watch. Yeah. And there are a couple of films I find harder to watch than this. But I, I just went back and like edited the show. And I'm listening to myself raging about this fucking dreadful film. And I think, how can you put this anything other than bottom? You clearly hate it. So, yeah, it's bottom for me, too. Oh dear. Okay. <laughs> so. This is why I feel slightly guilty for ranking it not very high, but. It's number three on no. your list, isn't it, Becca? Surprisingly, <laughs> uh, no, it's not, despite the Cumberbatch, no. Um, so, uh, what are we on that? So, that's, um, that's our film, so 13, 13 Slotville. So, so yeah. that's, two, um, that's two down for Into Darkness. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> I'm going to record our other votes as we go along. And one for Nemesis. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we are really spitting hairs, really, between, like... <laughs> oh, that's a problem. The bottom six of this series is crap. Yeah, I know. So, uh... in our next step into crapness, um, <laughs> what's number 12, I'm Becca? A, I'm taking a leaf out of your book, um, but slightly, perverting it slightly. No, I've got Insurrection at number 12. Um, pretty well, I think all the Next Generation movies suffer from the same thing um i mean you know despite sort of you know the cast and the sets and the everything you know the production values that go into it um and sometimes the budget bargain basement um cgi because i had them were too busy um there's just like tv movie of the week generally um and that's a massive like hampering factor for me but yeah i'm i'm still surprised i did a fan instruction last 
just so boring. But um, I thought Nemesis suffered the worst, so that's why I put it my number twelve. Stopped. Okay. Um, yeah, we don't need to sort of go into that, <laughs> uh, guys. No, I think I've ranted about that already. Yeah. I don't need to rant anymore. No. <clears throat> well, you know, something which save our lives, we just fall asleep. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, so that's that my number twelve slot. Guys, <laughs> what, what's your number twelve? Mine's uh, Star Trek Five. Now, I thought I was going to put this bottom because this film almost—I'd go almost as far as to say this film shouldn't have been released. <laughs> it, 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 I, I mean that. I mean, you look really? into you look into darkness and like it's crap, but it's clearly ready for release. Mm. I mean, it's shit, but it's ready for release. They meant to make that. Whereas you look at Star Trek Five, it's. I hate to judge a film by its budget, but unfortunately, you've got to judge what's on the screen, and what's on the screen is partly a a, 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 a result of its budget. And Star Trek V has a lot of horrendous effects. It has um, Kirk not acting like Kirk, and even the scenes that are kind of nice in that I like the three actors involved the main three, um, Kirk, Bones, and McCoy, uh, Kirk, Bones, and Spock, well, it's all very well to say I like them and that's fine, but most of their stuff is puns. Do you mind if we drop in for dinner? Oh, as yeah, a bit cheesy. Drop down off a cliff. And they have nothing to do with the rest of the film. It looks cheap. It looks awful. It's a poor idea. And the idea of meeting God is kind of like, well, that's kind of interesting. But they go to the centre of the galaxy within two days, which doesn't make sense at all. I think this film, uh, it should be bottom. It is purely that I edit the show. And when I edit the show, I I look at it and like I, I, I expressed such stronger opinions about Into Darkness. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, I've got it at 12. Ouch. Well, God's a busy man. Uh, so, Charlie, God's a busy man. <coughs> Here it comes. <laughs> Charlie, what's your number for? Um, I've got Nemesis. Oh, right, so not far off from. Uh... Why, why did you no. choose Nemesis? Um, just because it's really boring. Um, <laughs> it's kind of there's, there's, there was potential there. It's kind of, it kind of reminds. It's like what Dave was saying about Star Trek Five, is that with Nemesis. They had the budget. They had everything there. They had the, it was there, and it was just another weak source remake of Wrath of Khan. And I think because I think the ideas within it were really interesting. The kind of the, the the idea of the mirror image and kind of how people kind of grow up. The same person would kind of potentially be different in different situations and things like that. That was all interesting, but it just didn't meet any of that and just ended up really, really boring. Um, yeah, and it's got Jim Robinson in the beginning as well, which is just really distracting. Romulan Jim Robinson. Um, Doesn't he turn uh, up in everything, though, Jim Robinson? That's yeah, he was in Crystal Skull and he was in um, Winter Soldier. Oh, yeah, he's, yeah, he's in Crystal Skull. I forgot he was in Crystal Skull. Oh, God. Yeah. I think I've got um, my fun facts, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... I, yeah, and, and I, remember, I remember seeing it in the cinema and I was so disappointed. 
and um, yeah, so deservedly down there. Okay, well, um, I'm probably going to piss off a lot of people now. Um, <laughs> it was difficult because I was looking back. I think I know what you're going to say. I was diffi- it was difficult because I was looking back on the film. You know, I always make, I always write down all the films, and I go, I look at which ones I like, play number one. Um, and below it, and I, st- I work, and I try and decide what's my least favorite. And my knee-jerk reaction was this film because I'm, I'm, I remembered how I reviewed it. Uh, I then I chose Insurrection before of it because it was just so boring. I was like, oh, it's nothing going to be. Uh, the, my problems with it is it's kind of like similar to Dave had. It just wasn't a proper film. Had no clear conclusion. I don't think it was. It didn't work as well for me. Um, it's such a spark. I'm sorry. No. I knew it. I knew it. I knew yeah, it. me too. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was actually quite of a surprise me because I thought I was going to like the film more than I actually did. Uh, so I was a bit not back foul when I watched it objectively, thinking, "Oh, this isn't actually a very good film. In fact, this isn't very a good film at all." Now it's fair; it does suffer. I know it is kind of like a loose trilogy. Yes. Um. And it's the middle part. And it's the middle part, and uh, and we'll and, and, and all middle films suffer for that. And uh, we'll get to that when uh, we talk about Star Wars. Um, well, because the middle one, all that's great. Yes, I might have something to say about that. But um, okay, Ooh, what heretic? Well, actually, no. Well, okay, I'll I'll say this. <laughs> um, Let's leave that there, uh, just out of interest. In yeah. case you didn't know, Charlie, uh, sorry, Chris is going to prove what an arsehole he is. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. There's a clear. There's, Stay there's, tuned, folks. There's a, there's a clear. There's a clear difference sort of like for my argument, and it's not. It's that I think it's anyway a bad film in any way. Um, okay. But so it's for, for plot reasons. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I would say. It's got pacing issues, but we'll get there. No, 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 no. It's. I would say Empire is the best made Star Wars film. Okay. But, I would say I would, I would say that that would be my definition of what Empire is. I wouldn't say it's the best film. Um, with fake praise. No, no, no. It's not. It's not. I'm not, it's not, it's not I don't think You've it's rubbish. You've seen Attack of the Clones. No, no. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. It's, can't, you know, it's not that I think it's that. rubbish at all. I mean, I can completely understand why people love it and all that, but I think when it's judged, I don't know. We'll get into it. Um, well, that's Star Trek people. <laughs> so yeah, so it's well, Star Trek we're talking about in your yeah. own time, obviously. It suffer. It doesn't have a clear narrative conclusion. It's not satisfactory. Uh, it's it's pretty bog standard in its direction. I think uh, Nimoy does a better job later on. Um, I, 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 yeah, I just I just don't think it's a very good film, and it's not something I actually choose to pick up anytime soon. So. Um, and bear in mind, we are we are spitting hairs here. So, like yeah. the amounts of quality is very kind of like far and in between. I was almost yeah. So, uh, yeah, twelve is, is uh, such a spot. So it, it's 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 a weird one because I always ju- I always go gauge on terms of quality, um, my own personal preference, and in terms of what I actually would rather watch. So you might find the worst films higher up than you think they would be, but it's only because I'd rather watch them rather, uh, as opposed to the actual quality of, them, of the film themselves. And I think, Dave, we discussed this, didn't we, when we did Bond, like how we were sort of gauging on our... You've got, yeah, you've, you've got to balance quality against enjoyment. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah you do. It's so, a fine balance. 
yeah, I mean, it's very, very pushing and vague, and it's probably depending on mood as well. So, yeah, it depends know. on kind of what mood you're in at the time. Mm, yes, so, um, yeah, so that's nine, number 12. Uh, Becca, what's your number 11? Uh, I put Generations at number 11. Really? Okay. Yeah. I take it you, <laughs> take it you didn't come out thinking, that was fun. It was fun. <laughs> no. Do we <laughs> <laughs> oh no it's just missed opportunities yeah basically for those for those reasons Dave pretty much just because you've got Shatner behaving the way he behaves and it's just like oh, oh. Um, yeah just so many missed opportunities really um, and that's mainly why it's my number 11 position um, anyway Dave what did you think uh, me uh, hang on a second number What's 11 your number 11 role yeah, at number 11, I'll put Nemesis. Now, at no point oh. was Nemesis in any danger of being bottom. Because I kind of think, in, in a strange kind of way, it's um, competent. Hangs yeah. together okay as a film. It, it's not too bad. It's kind of ugly to look at. And it feels a bit tired. You know, it just feels like a series running on fumes. But I can never get really angry about it. So when I look at like Star Trek V, Into Darkness, lots of other films in the series, bizarrely, that are above it, I can't get angry about it. So it, it, it's near the bottom because, frankly, it's boring. But it's boring and pretentious, whereas the next film I name is just boring. So, yeah, boring and pretentious, just boring to come. So, yeah, um, <laughs> I haven't got anything more to say about it, really. Number uh, 11, okay. uh, Nemesis. Charlie? Uh, my number 11 is Insurrection. Ah. Yeah. <clears throat> For the same sort of reasons, the fact that it's just a sneeze. Yeah, stuff. I mean, I, I put it above Nemesis because I kind of like the stuff with Picard and the, the Prime Director and all that kind of thing. But you've, stuff... got, you've got Picard behaving like Picard, haven't you? Yeah. And we want that because <laughs> even if you're a, like, a Kirk guy... We all like Picard, so like, why would that's you? What, yeah, that's what you want to see from him, really, don't you? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Most of this series, he fucking isn't. <clears throat> mm, yeah, it's a big dichotomy there, which is a bit weird, but never yeah, mind. Yeah, he's Jean Clute McLean, really. <laughs> Jean Clute McLean, yeah, that's true. He gets his guns out every opportunity. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I just find it. A bit <laughs> that's more, a good one, Chris. I love that. A, a tiny bit more entertaining, and because of Picard's character, really. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, yeah, for the sort of 90s sensibility, they soup up his character a bit, whereas for the TV show, not so much. It's just being in a film, really. It's kind of... Yeah. They, they have to... They always seem to feel that for the films, it always has to be action, action, action. That's true, that's true. We've lamented it so many times. Chris, uh, what's, your, what's your number? Speaking of action, 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 what's action, action. Uh, <laughs> well, actually, my number 11 and number 10 are kind of... I feel like kind of joint kind of parallel between each other. Uh, one, I mean, they're, they're both very action-y type films. Um, one is, I want to say one suffers from just being a bit dull, but it's probably more competent of a film, whereas one is a lot more flashy and a lot more pacing and, and watchable, but is completely crap as a film. So I can't, I kind of, I kind of toss into, I can't really sort of put one, one above the other really, but, the first one I got down is First Contact, and I think because of its reputation as well, I think I think it... I thought I was going to be controversial because yeah. I got it that high. Well, you know, you're, I, I am, I, I am like, like a non-Trek fan, so it's fucking bollocks. It is a film that is entirely 
got its reputation from people like the Borg and it was shiny at yeah. the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a very good film. This 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 villain has been completely defanged before you get to this film. And the film starts with them fucking like beating them really easily. It yeah, is a not a very really? good film. It really isn't. People put it in the top three. Fine, like what you like. I do not want to insult anyone who feels different. But I genuinely and respectfully think you are wrong because there's nothing about this film that's better than any of the top three or four I'm going to name. Yeah, it's it's just, well, you know, it's it's just it's not the story itself. The script isn't doesn't explain anything really. No, it uh, does. It's full of no. plot holes, and I think the interesting bits are kind of washed over for a bit more Borg action. And I just think, as a Star Trek film, it kind of loses its way. And if it was, if that if it was actually more enjoyable, I can go okay. Well, fair enough. It's really it, it's po it's really weird as a film because. Mm. It's po-faced with sudden bursts of humour that ain't funny. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit weird. But, you know, you do have, you know, it's drunk, like drunk watching, Troy, so... It's like watching it's Noah fast. and all of a sudden, like, Dumb and Dumber kicks in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so totally. Yeah. It's a bit kind of here, there and everywhere. The whole I, I, fish out of water thing. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I, there are two films in this series that I think... Um, my opinion is almost right in that, like, opinions are opinions. Why would I be right? But when I look at things objectively, I think Star Trek Into Darkness is objectively a bad film because mm. I don't think it hangs together right at all. And I think First Contact is objectively overrated. I, I honestly don't think there is any case for putting it above some of the better films in this series because it is literally just a pretty film that's it that's all it's got i i think well it's a bit of a waste of potential as well i mean i think if they maybe chosen a different villain other than the borg well they've got a new ship as well yeah and i like that ship and i particularly liked it when it was it was a model and i thought well that's great and then we see nothing of what the ship can do nothing at all other than get like taken over by the borg somehow so seeing as it's joint i'm gonna go skip straight ahead to 10 uh you'd be pleased to know it's into darkness oh. <laughs> uh yeah just basically the same those the same sort of reasons it's it's more flashy it's more pacey but um the script shiny, is shiny. just yeah dumb and rubbish and uh while i think contract uh contact has a is the script is better, you know, um, but it isn't as flashy or pacey as as uh, Into Darkness is, and I don't have the same sort of um, issues as Dave and Charlie do. do. I, I can still happily watch Into Darkness, um, but I am fully aware that it is a terrible Star Trek film, and. <laughs> I can easily like avoid it like, and completely just like n- not count it in the new JJ verse, whatever you want to call it. So, and uh, and of course, uh, Kenneth, uh, Ben Benedict is uh, a crap car. So, there you oh, go. yeah. Well, you know, he's he's you know 
it's no, mis- he's, it's good, miscast. he's a good actor not playing the same role. Yeah, he's, he's, he's miscast for starters. Anyway. I, honestly, I watch him in that film and I just think you deserve to be in a better film. He's not bad at all. He plays if, the scene really, just, really well. If they just, just not come. If they just give him like a different villain, it's like, oh, it's Mars a new villain. There you are. And then be no problems. It can be you can play it however he wants. It could be actually well, be John Harrison. They, they <laughs> suggested he might be John Harrison, yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry. They must. Uh, they suggested he might be Gary Mitchell. Gary Mitchell was like a, ahead of us, if you like, as a species. That would have worked. Yeah, yeah. And I actually think that would have been a better idea because you think, okay, well, what did Rafa Khan do? Right, we took a, a villain from the old TV sh- original TV show and then made, made him a villain. Okay, well, let's kind of do what Rafa Khan did and just choose a different villain from the original TV show and big him up as a villain. That makes more mm. sense. Um, so yeah, I was when when they kind of well, flat out lied to us that was Gary Mitchell. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was a bit. It was a better idea, but it was like so when it was like, um, my name is Khan. I was like, really? Yeah. Oh, well, that's a bit disappointing. Um, so I didn't have the desired effect. So yeah, uh, into darkness it is. Uh, so Becca, what's your number ten? For some of the reasons too, Dave. Um, my number ten is the Final Frontier. <laughs> Yeah, I think we've kind of said pretty much enough about it already. Um, sort of plodding along, really. So, yeah, that's my number 10. Okay. You don't have much to say in it, really. Cause... No, I, just, I, just, I think part of this, I mean, as we go further on up the list, I might easier easy, easy thing to say, but I've you know, said what I want to say already in the previous episode. Okay. Um, Were you yeah, not that just... impressed by Godface, no? <laughs> Godface. It was a bit Godface. Um, yeah, no, I think it's... Interesting. The effects used for Godface are quite interesting. Um, yeah, it's just, it just gets kind of like really preachy, doesn't it? Like towards you know towards the end, um, and it's it's trying to overreach as well, which is not not in its remit at all. Um, and it's just yeah, so it's kind of a lot of the humor kind of really doesn't doesn't land, um, and it's a bit misjudged. But yeah, so that's why I'm kind of ranking it a bit further down. But yeah, Godface generally, that's what does it. Yeah, okay. Uh, mine is First Contact. Okay. Um, um, because, well, yeah. that's <laughs> going to be at, at least three of us that don't rank it very high. Mine's yeah. coming soon. It's coming soon. <laughs> such an overrated film. It is. It, it is so like Goldeneye. Um, Golden, oh. and I, I will say Golden Eye is better than First Contact, so don't take that the wrong way. Because I think first, I think <laughs> Golden. No, it's okay. They're both different. No, so. no, Golden Eye is quite enjoyable. I don't think it's a bad film at all. It's just overrated. Well, I can see why it is. Yeah, I can best see that. The series, it's like really. Have you just missed Bond, or were you just the right age? Because hmm. it's not that good. Whereas First Contact is genuinely quite a poor film, actually. I think I think what thing with contact is I think it came at a time where it was a Star Trek film that people wanted at that time so it's like oh yeah Picard gets the Borg and it was like it was it was big screen had like you know it looked good and stuff like it was that over the month really wasn't it, I think yeah because at I... that time as well you just had to show it wasn't wasn't that long stuff yeah. the show had finished so you saw all the TNG fans and yeah, so many other Borg fans because it didn't have at that point it hadn't been diluted by all the appearances of them in Voyager and Enterprise. That's the problem. If, if this was, say, say we'd only seen the Borg in Q-Who, and I mean literally just Q-Who, like 12, 15 minutes of screen time, and they looked unbeatable, 
might have worked better, but they, they'd been defagged by this point. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you go through an arc with the villain. If you look at the way it was treated within the next generation, they completed a really interesting arc and that was it. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. But they put it on the big screen because it's like their signature villain. And it only works if you've never seen the Star Trek film before because Picard has dealt with the Borg perfectly fine all the way through the rest of the series after his kidnap and everything. It doesn't work. It's not a very good film. I don't understand why people put it top three or four. I really don't, but it's well, very pretty. Well, somehow, I'm sure there must be somebody out there who likes it, I'm sure. Well, somehow Sometimes. they manage. Somehow. <laughs> somehow. <laughs> so just to finish this off, my number 10 is Insurrection. And Insurrection is the poster boy for why I think this this is such a difficult ranking to do. Because I don't have any strong feelings about it. it it's not hateful. I, and I know Becca didn't like it. And I know it's not very popular and all the rest of it. But it, it's just a film. It's just there. It's all right. And I feel that way about most of this stuff. I don't put them somewhere. I don't understand why this film was on the big screen. Yeah. I don't understand. I, I went to the cinema. I don't feel cheated because anytime I can watch the Next Generation crew, great. You know, fine, brilliant. So I go to see this film and it's all right. And I think, well, I waited like two years or two and a half years for this. Um, it is. You could stick it in any season after season three, and it wouldn't be a season highlight. It wouldn't. In any given series of The Next Generation, there are better stories than this. And you're looking at a planet, it's a bit like uh, Generations when I get there, that you're looking at a planet where they're like, oh my God, what do we do? And it's like 300 people. If there were 300 people on Earth and somebody else wanted access to it, fucking fill your boots, it's massive. Um, nobody's thought this through, as usual. With, with crap films, half the time they haven't thought it through. So, yeah, I'm going to stick it where it is. I don't hate it. I couldn't put it any lower. But it's very typical of the Next Generation series of films. Absolutely dull. It's, Number 10 um... instruction. It's got a poor villain as well, isn't it? Really, I don't think that helps. Like the villain itself is just a bit, you know, mm. it's just he's got a stretchy face. That's about it. Stretchy and face. It, yeah. <laughs> it's so so boring. Yeah. So um, yeah. So that's number. Six. So on to number nine, um, Rebecca. I'm incredibly nervous now because I put Into Darkness at my number nine. Why now. would you be nervous about that? Well, no, it's just not because obviously there's a lot of track fans <clears> and. <throat> Some of you listeners out there might be, you know, diehard fans who could be like, oh, it's worth remember. If, if any of you send Becca any death threats or any bad messages, <laughs> I will come around and kick the shit out of you. Yeah. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you. Thank you. No, it's uh, just. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, that's uh, mine and Dave's job. <laughs> no, oh, yeah, I protect Becca with my rusty masculinity. <laughs> it's a rusty um, knife. It's not. Yeah, I was like, hold on a minute. I mean, nine is not good, Becca. You are. No, 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 no. It's just one of those things. Um, no, it's just yeah. As I say, I'm not sort of. You know, I've died in the Warborn fan. That's what I am, rather than Trek. But, um, but I do, I do love it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just. I, it's yeah. I can see how obviously with with Khan it is a bit of a slap in the face. 
Um, and it's it's the lowest rank of or well, my rankings from the the reboot series so far. Um, whoever knows, track fourteen could be terrible. It could be an absolute stinker that goes straight to the bottom. But let's hope it's not. Um, but yeah, I just come back. It isn't. There's only one con, and that's Ricardo Montalban. Um, I was trying not to make and the wrong and his epic chest and his hair, which is amazing. Um, but sadly, you know, um, Kovacs and his emo hairdo can't can't save it. Can't be a modern con for for this era. Um, but he tries. Um, yeah, so that's kind of why I, I, so I rank it sort of fairly low down, but not as low down as you guys. Um, but that's mainly why it's at my number eight. Uh, sorry, number nine position. Uh, okay, uh, my number nine is First Contact, and I honestly thought I'd rank it lower than anyone else, because I just think it's one of these films that goes in the top three or four almost by default. It's the best Next Generation film, and it's got the Borg and all the rest of it. It was like when I put um, Goldeneye <laughs> reasonably low, and you were like surprised, and I'm like, thank you, Chris. Yeah, I mean, it was <laughs> a little bit. I don't love Goldeneye either, but I at least acknowledge Goldeneye's importance. This film doesn't even have that. It's not important. I mean, if they if it, if they'd done another film and it had done like generations business, so be it. This film's not very good. It is one of the prettiest. I mean, if you put to me, you've got the reboot, the first one, Star Trek two thousand and nine, and you've got this in terms of like the most attractive to look at Star Trek films. I think the E is gorgeous. It was gorgeous when it was a model, particularly. It certainly wasn't when it was CG. But this is a shit film. And and when I look at, like, it it is very like Goldeneye in that, like, love it if you like. I I don't mind what you like. And and I'm not going to knock anything people (laughs) like in that, like, like it if you like. I think Goldeneye's a really enjoyable film. I do. I don't think it's very good. Yeah, no, it's okay. I'm going to joke it. Don't worry. No, but I think it's enjoyable. Yeah, it's just overhyped. Um, and I kind of feel the same about First Contact. It's fine, but like, where did you get best, you know, best in the series from? Because mm-hmm. like, most of what followed it's better than this. Uh, so yeah, at nine, First Contact, really, really, really overrated film. Charlie, what's your number nine? Uh, at my number nine is Star Trek V. Oh. Oh, I thought that would be highest. I did too, actually. <clears throat> well, yeah, I wasn't sure. I, I... It's a difficult one I to ha- place, I think. It's Yeah, I, I had to kind of weigh my personal feelings of, of nostalgia as well as, as, as how I feel about it. And I, and I generally do enjoy it, and I generally do... Um, think that some of it is really interesting again the potential compared to what it actually was is massively different um and paramount completely fucked it with the um with the kind of like budget as well but um uh, but yeah objectively it's it's not a great film um but i enjoy it um and kind of maybe i don't know if i if I was doing this again, maybe a bit higher, maybe, but I think it's fine where it is. Yeah, that's okay. It's not a good film, is it, Charlie? No. 
And again, you know, to anyone who likes these things, no one is saying it's like when we talk about Goldeneye. It's opinion, put it like really. Seventeen, eighteen, or anything. It's like, well, that's genuinely where what it belongs. But it's not like don't enjoy it. It's like, well, enjoy what you like. Yeah. If you genuinely like this film, fine. And it's the same with anything here. I'm not ridiculing people who like First Contact, for example. I just think it's overrated. I'll argue why it's overrated. Plus, it'll be boring yeah. if we all agreed on the same shit as well. Absolutely. Like, you know, if we, if we all just, like, pretty much did more or less exactly what every other Star Trek uh, countdown of the films would be, you'd just be like, what's the fucking point? Uh, it's not more interesting to actually have, like, you know, shake it up a little bit, I think. So maybe, maybe that's part of what, what spurs me on to put on certain rankings of the way they are but uh, it just sort of it, it so makes Chris... blood spoil <laughs> but no no but, but generally I like you know what, it's from a, a, a point of honesty um, and I think it, ma- what it, it makes what have you got at number 9 interesting uh, Nemesis um, oh. I put Nemesis I mean we are starting to creep out the crapness we yeah. are getting out there now um, I, I don't think Nemesis objectively is as bad as its reputation no it's... I tend to just think like we were all fed up with it by then, and none of the next generation <laughs> really like grabbed our attention. No, I mean it's not a great uh, film, um, no, but I think out the, I think out the you know the next gen films, there's two I would probably stick on. Um, this would be one of them if I was more on a kind of I feel something very light and fun and loose and shooty and stuff. Um, I'll probably put this on, and it's like vaguely like Rafa Khan, so okay. Um, and it's got Tom very Hardy like, in. It's very like the Rafa Khan, isn't it? And it's yes. And it's got Tom Hardy in, so it's it's got things in it that are enjoyable. Um, so it. It, it was such a disappointment in it though for me. I just. Yeah, I know that's fine. It's fine. It, anyway. it, doesn't, it doesn't look very good. Um, and but you know it's, I above it. I put it above most of the crapness just because I think, well, you know what, I'd, it's probably one I'd I'd watch um, every so often. Plus, it's got Jim Dale in it, so uh, so yeah. My number nine is Nemesis. <laughs> Alan Dale. Jim Alan Dale. Dale. Yes. Jim Robinson. Jim Robinson. Jim Robinson. Robinson. Like those two. Jim Dale from Carry On. Yes. Oh no, really? So where are we up to now? Number eight. So basically, we miss him? it would have been bottom, but Jim Robinson. Yes. Save the day. But yeah, Jim Robertson, mm-hmm. neighbours. All right, I've got in it as well, first, so. I'll go first on the number eight then. Um, yes, go I on. put The Search for Spock at number eight. And oh. I, I kind of, I've, I've got, this is where the bottom seven or so are kind of difficult because number seven, yeah, sorry, number seven. So the bottom seven or eight, sorry, they're all films that. I struggle with in that, with the exception of Into Darkness, which is the reason I did put it bottom in the end. I can't get angry about it. I mean, the search for Spock has some nice relationships. The stealing of the Enterprise is terrific. It's really good. And so there's lots of positives to it. But it looks really cheap. It just looks like they ran out of money. And it's also a film that is literally there to undo the previous film. And that's not good. You cannot defend that as great filmmaking. So I'm not fond of it, I have to say. Um, Ronald D. Moore, on on his uh, um, commentary on this film, said that 
it did a better job than Generations. I don't agree, frankly. So, uh, number eight, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. I will say this. I think the destruction of the, of the Enterprise is better in that than Generations. Oh, definitely. But, um, yeah. Um, Charlie? <clears throat> My number eight is Star Trek 2009. I, I enjoy it. A lot of it pisses me off still. Um, <laughs> it's really, really stupid. Um, but uh, but I can I can sit down and I can there's there's some really really lovely bits. The the opening is amazing, um, and uh, a lot of the the kind of the way they kind of reconceptualize recontextualize Star Trek was uh, was really nice. I don't love it. So that was my initially I my placing was it I wasn't sure about it because I, I don't love it. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean because it's again the script isn't very good, but you know you can't put it. It's it's not like in, as insulting as Into Darkness because it's still fun, you know. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, it's not so it's not quite that bad. Doesn't get as much things too wrong with it. Uh, Becca, what's your number eight? Um, my number eight is First Contact. Um. Many do for the effects, I think. The effects and the costumes and the makeup. Not 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 um, the uh, really well plotted yeah. structure of the film. <laughs> no. <laughs> and sort of shallow picks of the film. Um, yeah, yeah, the sort of as in before it's all it's ex- executed quite poorly. Um, in terms of like the plot and, and the central villain, which is Great shame. And they've gone in. Um, I think it's quite impressive. Easily impressed me. Um, and that's uh, my number eight. Yeah, first contact is at my number eight spot. Like the story at least is kind of sort of decent, but yeah, it's just kind of not executed in the right kind of way, I think. Chris, what's your number eight? My number eight uh, is Star Trek Generations. Um, I think we're getting into the ones that I actually enjoy now. Um, I don't think it's a good film, uh, though I really, really like seeing the two captains cooking breakfast. Uh, <laughs> um, I think maybe it's just a bit of nostalgia for um, generations, uh, like seeing the two captains uh, working together. Uh, I, I, you know, I like Malcolm McDowell as a as a villain. Um, it's it's not terribly cinematic, but it's it looks good for what it is. Uh, and I can I can enjoy my time with it. It's not it's not great by any means, but there we are. It's uh, Star Trek Generations at number eight. So moving swiftly on um, at number seven, who wants to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. It's absolutely fine. Uh, this is the last film, in my opinion, that I find difficult to rank. In that, like my top six, I don't find difficult at all. Like I think I I have a strong feeling uh, where they should be. Um, my number seven is Generations. Um, the big co- the big thing when you look at this list of like my bottom seven or so is like where should it go relative to First Contact? It's a better film than First Contact, in my opinion. It's only my opinion. You know, people can disagree. First Contact is wildly overrated. Neither of them are great, but I think Generations is a little bit more entertaining. 
and a little bit less pretentious of the two of them. So, yeah, that's it for me, my number seven, Generations. Uh, Charlie, what's your number seven? My number seven is Generations as well. Ah, so we all kind of have similar generations then. Yeah, I still really enjoy it. Um, the, the, the themes um, of, of kind of death and time really, really appeal to me. Um, and I think it looks great. Um, yeah, the, the third act is where it kind of pisses in the wind a bit. But uh, other than that, I really, really enjoy it. And uh, yeah, I really like it. Is it one of those Trek films that um, the bad, even like the bad stuff, you know, like when they're in Nexus and how that's not really very well drawn out and the fact that they can just go in and out without no problems. Mm. Um, do, those sort of things, do you find like, okay, I can kind of like just enjoy enjoy the, the bad badness of it by laughing at it kind of, rather than like the, the films below that or or, is, or, or is that you just, or is that always where you go, oh, for God's sake, I wish I didn't do that. that wasn't there. No, I just I I'm able to gloss when I watch it. I'm able to gloss over that stuff. Yeah, it almost as if it it doesn't occur to me. Yeah, because I I enjoy the other parts of the film. What's what's your number seven, Becca? Uh, my number seven is Search for Spock. Have you seen him anywhere? Where is he? Can't miss him. <laughs> Got pointy ears, odd hair. Just ask the other one to give him a call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Having said that, uh... <laughs> oh, how did you stop him? That's where. Well, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that's what's at my number seven spot. Um, slowly coming into decent Trek film territory now. Chris, what's your number seven? Well, you'd be pleased to know. Um... It's getting a nosebleed of uh, being up this high. It's, oh, uh, Star- it's Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Um, wow. Uh, I still like it. I mean, I know it's not a great film. Uh, it has its flaws. I think it still looks great. Uh, well, I think it has shots in it that look great. Uh, it has moments. It has ideas that I like. Um, I still like God's a Busy Man. Like, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's God's just me. God's a Busy Man. <laughs> Um, I I like um, Shatner questioning God or supposedly is God I think that's a good moment for the character yeah God face and um, yeah even though it's not a very good film I still find it watchable as hell so um, for that yeah I'm putting it firmly in my number 7 spot so that's yeah number 7 so we're up to number 6 so, uh, who wants to go first? What's your number six, Chris? My number six. Okay. You can go first. I'll go first. I, my number six is the uh, uh, 2009... Yeah, that was the year. Uh, 2009 Star Trek. Um, oh. We're getting into the good ones now. Um, yeah, I, I find this film really, really watchable. It has gone down... Um, from where I originally perceived it, because I used to really, really hate, like, regard this film as like really, really good blockbuster. Um, but the script is pretty bad now on reflection. But it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter because it's still enjoyable, and it's still easily watched. I, I, I still, I still enjoy it, even though it does get some of the Star Trek lore wrong. Um, so yeah, that is uh, Star Trek at my number six. I guess that's 
it's an interesting thought that um, being where you were at the start of this series and where you are now, how much have you had yourself or your opinions have essentially changed in the different context of me and Dave? Yeah, well, it's because I've watched the characters as well. I mean, I've always had um, yours and Dave's input, but I've also seen like the characters and watching these characters... Um, and I've also seen some of the, the original series now as well. Mm. But actually seeing uh, the characters portrayed in the J.J. Abrams film, or films, I go, okay, well, you kind of fucked that up, haven't you? I kind of see where Shrek fans are coming from. So uh, that became a, that. That's a bit of an issue, and I kind of see where it's kind of dumb <laughs> as well. So, so for that, I can't honestly put it uh, any higher. I mean, I, I was tempted to put it a bit higher, but but I, I generally looking at other film, looking at the other films, I, I have to say they are better films. So it firmly sits in my number, in my number six spot. I mean, this is it's a better film than Final Frontier. You know, I might, you know, I kind of enjoy Final Frontier, but it is a better film than that. So yeah, um, but I think that's that's kind of why it's good to do these this the show, isn't it? Because you get to sort of like watch films as as they go and get to know characters and, and see how they match up to everything else. Um, oh, I think the top half a dozen no. series is pretty good. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll go next. Uh, I've put at number six the motion picture, and at, at the outset of this series, I would have put it in the bottom three or four. Um, and I think even Charlie would understand why, because this film is slow and, and there's mm. nothing wrong with it. Uh, but it has an almost unique feel to it. It has an almost unique... Um, I think what I like about this film is it's got an attention to detail. It's got a prestige theme filmmaker putting a prestige spin on Star Trek. Mm. and It feels I, I, sci-fi, uh, doesn't it? It does feel it, proper sci-fi. Yeah. And I, I think the problem with the film is that if you spend the film saying wait till we get there, what we're going to get to is amazing. What you're going to get to has to be amazing. And it kind of isn't. But to put this film in the top six, and believe me, from six upwards is, uh, they're films I enjoy, I think is a real sign that I've reappraised this film. I, I think it's really enjoyable. So the motion picture at number six for me. Funny you should say that, Dave. I've got the same. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. It's a miracle. No, I just... Captain um, Tails. Yeah. <laughs> I, first of all, I, it was slightly higher for me originally. Um, and then I had a quick, quick, quick rewatch of a few of them. Um, and it slid down a few places. But it's... As you are saying, even though it's called the motion picture, but there's not a lot of motion in it. Not too much happens. <laughs> but... <laughs> On at the actual basic level, but yeah, it's, it's I say it's, it's enjoyable to watch. Um, um, in terms of like its philosophical outlook, um, and like you said, on kind of meditation of age and aging and things like that, um, it actually has a lot to say, um, and that's why it's in my number six position. Uh, my number six is Starship Beyond, um, which I, I think is quite an honour for a Star Trek for a new Star Trek fan to be up that high. Yeah, that surprised um, me a little bit. But um, yeah, no, I really, really like it. Um, it's still um, 
got some teething problems, but um, the characters finally feel like the characters they're supposed to be. Um, it doesn't feel particularly stupid as the other ones do. And uh, it just feels something that just resembles the Star Trek I love. And it is actually very, really enjoyable as well. As a film, it's quite solid. It's really... Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I really like it, yeah. Good solid action now, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But that's when the characters have evolved too. <laughs> so, yeah, that's our number six done. Um, so, yeah, okay. Uh, well, my number five is to form... Um, what's the for? Is the motion picture. Um Ooh. Yeah, it was a first. It was kind of basically. I think it was more as a first watch for me, and you know, like sit, like actually sitting down and watching it in its entirety. Uh, I can see why it's not the most popular, and it's not something that it's not the Star Trek film I would probably pick up and watch many times if um, if I do pick up a Star Trek film. I must admit, but that doesn't mean I don't respect it. I think um, its faults as a film is the fact that it's very lightweight. It doesn't have much going for it. And it is overly slow to pick up running time, I do think. But apart from that, it looks like a sci-fi film. It feels like a sci-fi film. It has ambition. I I think it looks great. And as Dave says, it, it does feel like a cinematic uh, prestige film. It does fit, you know. So for that, I think most of it gets a bad rap. And I respect it as a Star Trek film because... I, I think we've all gained something out of it. I mean, put it this way. Yeah. I've put it at six. Beck has put it at six. You put it at five. And those th- that's three non-fans, really. Out of 13 films, we've all put it in the top half. And it's and they are films that, like, popular culture would have us believe bottom belong down with, like, Star Trek Five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the very fact that... I mean, it proves... Uh, how can I put it? It proves the validity of what we do, in that we come in and we watch it with fresh eyes, and it proves we actually do that. Because I wouldn't have put it in the top half at the start. No. And I think what sort of what I really like about it is it is proper Trek. You know, I mean the the, the story itself is very light on its feet. I mean, it's basically just a, a extended Trek Trek episode, but it is Trek. You know, it's not like the the other ones where it's just a, a you know, a, a sci-fi actioner with with first with a Star Trek badge on it. You know, it, said earlier, it's probably it, one of the most un, undiluted. Yeah, it is. It is actually Star Trek. So for that, you have to take your hat off to it, and you know, good on it. So yeah, that's my number five. Um, my number five, and um, as I say, I'm I'm a lot more sure about my top six than the rest. I put Star Trek Beyond at number five. I, I, I think that it is the most original series of the reboots. It is. But at the same time, the ship disappears in the first, you know, half an hour. And it all feels a little bit unnecessary. Now, every film is unnecessary. You write a film, you put it out, it gets an audience or it doesn't. But it does almost feel like they had um, they had a deadline to hit, and they hit it. And this film is neither here nor there. It's just a bit of a caper, and I'm sick of waiting three, four years at a time for just an unnecessary caper. But at the same time, it is objectively, in my opinion, it's a not franchise the franchise saver. Well, I haven't put it the highest yet but yeah i think it's a franchise saver chris i think uh, although into darkness grossed well 
I think it's one of those films that turned sour, you know, in everyone's mouth as soon as it came out. Yeah. It did okay, but like six months later, everyone fucking hated it. And if this film had come out at the same standard, I don't think we'd have seen any more. I think I think Beyond is almost like a placeholder film. Can't rank it any higher because mm. it is that placeholder. But at the same time, it's kept the series going, and that's good enough for me. I mean, it depends on how well the net, the uh, new film with Chris Hemsworth is going to do, isn't it? Um, it happens, yeah. Yeah, uh, mm. but it it definitely. I mean, if if this film wasn't good or didn't do um, as well, I mean, I think that it, it'll be dead in the water. Sign now, of it? how it's a sign of how mediocre I think most of this series is that it's this high. And I don't mean to do it down by that because I, I did like Star Trek Beyond, but there's nothing about it that really stands out to me, other than they've they've come closer to their characters than before. But the fact is, it's like it, it's just there. It's okay, and I put it fifth out of like thirteen. That tells me the series isn't that strong. But I am kind of proud to put it where it is. So at number five for me, Star Trek Beyond. Um, on, my, number, my number five is The Voyage Home. Um, this is a film I've kind of had a love-hate relationship over the years, but I've kind of recently just learned to just love it. Um, I think because I've embraced that it's a comedy, and I think that that's something that that I, I know a lot of other Trek fans, apart from myself, have kind of pushed back, and especially since it was the one that most was most popular and most people knew. Um, to the point where where it was released in in England, almost as a, as a secret Star Trek film, they kind of downplayed it completely on the marketing and all that kind of thing. Um, but uh, but just I mean, it's, it's it's fun all the way through. But the the Kirk and Spock relationship and and the the double act, the comedy double act, all the way through is uh, is just what makes it. So uh, yeah, uh, it's it's great and. Uh, Deservedly number five. Okay, Becca, what's your number five? My number five spot. Yeah, going into the... We must find that somewhere. Um, I'm copying you, Dave. Sorry, I've got Beyond as my number five spot as well. Um, Yeah, I think... I I kind of agree with what's gone before, really. Um, In terms of like critical and and fan reception, um, even though it graced quite out of the box office. Um... So you kind of you watch it now compared to like Carl, and you just think, oh, really? Um, and Cumberbatch, amazing though I think he is, is obviously with Sherlock um, as well, kind of like favourite of the month. But you know, hope he'll do much better things, I'm sure. But yeah, it's kind of like with um, with Beyond, we've got Justin Lin sort of coming in, um, sort of breathing new life in. You know, as you said, it's a sort of franchise saver, really. Um, yeah, it's got good action. Um, all the characters are more fully developed. Um, and I love obviously, you know, just mentioned you've got the. Um, Spock and Bones kind of double act as it were, if not a comedy double act, but you see them spend more time together, which is really good. Um, and it's kind of, it's just more rounded as a film. Um, it works as both sort of an action adventure, sci-fi, um, and a sort of um, like an ensemble piece as well. So that's why it's at my number five position. Okay, so uh, that leaves us, we're at number four. Mm, into the big leagues now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all uphill for me. Um, so what, who, who, who would like to go first for this? My top four are all films I'm I'm really fond of. I mean, I can't be negative about anything. Mm. I I've put Star Trek four at, at number four. I I, I think Snap. that 
as well. For when me. we when we watched it, well, we'll get to it. Well, yeah, okay, well, okay. So that's, that's three of us. Well, that's something right? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll talk about it now then. So Becca, me, and Chris have all put Star Trek Four at number four. Yeah. Um, it's not a film that I think there's anything there to hate. I, I think it's all really like kind of enjoyable, you know. And that's it, really. I, I haven't got anything more to say about it than that. It, it's not perfect. It's not great. It's good. It might. It's not necessarily what you want uh, when you think of a Star Trek film, is it? You like they all go back to Earth in modern days no. to save a whale. Uh, but I think you know, in terms of keeping with Star Trek, I think it you know it keeps to its uh, values quite well, really. And it's, I suppose, it's refreshing to see. It's actually done. It actually works rather well. It's not too kooky. Don't sort of overplay the comedy. Um, sh- you know, Shatner's actually okay in it. Um, Nimoy is actually handles like direction well, and, and is actually on screen and has and is great with the humor. You know, even though he's he's kind of playing the you know the I, want, I don't th- think idiots too much a strong word, but he's kind of like an idiot with a straight face. But you know, if it, but it's it's because of like how he is. You know, it it just works really really well, um, and there's and some charm to it, and uh, and uh, even though Shatner does get like knocked back at the end. <laughs> just like so uh <laughs> it's a good one. i think it's a bit cringeworthy to watch but they just think oh well you know yeah zero <laughs> sexual chemistry between unfortunately yeah there's zero chemistry generally yeah, that's the thing. charlie i think i know what you're going to put in number four but enlighten us um i've put the undiscovered country Was that uh, I, I had i had those two and those oh, well I, had, I originally had that number two and then that was the number four but i've switched them around but yeah, they're kind of they're quite nearby to each other. So yeah, this, like like kind of Dave said, this is where we kind of get into all the films that I really, I just yeah, I really really enjoyed the hell out of, um, with very few reservations. Um, and yeah, Undiscovered Country is just a, a really great film. The whole kind of Cold War stuff is really interesting, and and certainly was at the time. Um, uh, the, the kind of detective story is, is good, and the uh, the the action bits that there are. Um, okay, trampolini. You've ranked it lowest of the four of us, and yet you've said the detective story is good. And I, re- I reckon all three of the rest of us will think the detective story is rubbish, and we've ranked it higher. <laughs> well, it's not the best thing about it, but uh, um, and it's clearly no, it's though, isn't it? Nicholas Meyer's indulgence, but it's fun. You know, it's, yeah, if, exactly. That's why. That's why I rang so hard because it's it's a fun film. Yeah, I love it. I mean, yeah, I genuinely and, love it. And the ending is beautiful. It's, it's very endearing oh, as well. Yeah, there's lots of endearing qualities uh, to it. You know, the the next generation crew loved each other as human beings. I mean, like Patrick Stewart and all the rest of it. They all really cared for each other. They were probably closer than the original crew to each other, and yet a goodbye from this crew meant so much more and i'm not quite sure why yeah no it's a weird one isn't it it's a bit of an odd, odd yeah, they loved each other they really did that's the thing when when <laughs> nemesis came around it was all billed as the end of the era and that kind of thing and the the generation's final journey and whatever and you didn't really feel that um whereas here that final scene where they all kind of they all come together on the bridge, um, and uh, it, it really feels their 
like there's a sense of camaraderie there that didn't really appear in any of the following films. It, it didn't, and I don't understand why. Just on the basis that they were closer to each other as people, the Next Generation crew. Is that, when you say that, is that like as in the actors were, or as in like the characters? Yeah, that's just... exactly what I mean. Right, okay. If you look yeah. at the original crew, um, uh, DeForest Kelly, and basically the main crew, DeForest Kelly, um, Leonard Nimoy, and William Shatner all cared for each other as people. But the rest of them not only weren't that bothered about each other, but they didn't really like Shatner. So it was a it was a series with an awful lot more interpersonal conflict than the Next Generation crew, who genuinely all adore each other. They still meet up for dinner every time they can. So like Patrick Stewart, you know, Brent Spiner, they, they're all great friends, and I do believe that. Um and in the TV series, it's probably noticeable in that, like, I feel that, that like I said in the um, very first episode, that there's more of a feeling of an ensemble than there is in the original crew. But when you get to the end of Star Trek VI and they're saying goodbye, that's emotional in a way that the next generation crew could never have managed. And I'm not really sure why. I'm going to throw a guess here. Um, now, I've not seen the last episode of uh, next gen um would you say that has those similar sort of feels in that episode because i'm kind of thinking they might have already they kind of already had their goodbyes all good things finishes with them in like i can't remember whose court as it is but let's say datas for the sake of it um and they're all playing poker and mm. picard says um i should have done this a long time ago meaning you know and and troy says to him you're always welcome meaning we could have been closer than we are. Yeah. Um, they do. It's not that the crew couldn't do it, but we're sat here talking about the film series and the original crew's goodbye was more emotional than anything the next generation could have even, even if they'd done another film that had been expressly designed as a goodbye. Mm. I don't think they could have matched it. It could slightly be that they, in in terms of the generation, the next generation, that they've actually all like completed their arc, and the films are kind of just like, uh, I don't know, just just little well, extras kind of thing. That's the problem: the, next, the, the the original crew got cut down in their prime. Um, not only did they get to come back to finish it, but they kept they got to come back and finish it like ten years later. Mm. So they got to like rethink why they were there. Whereas the next generation wrapped up the series and then went, let's make some films. Mm. And so I, I think you're right. I think that it, the next generation never thought about why they were on the big screen. But to pick it up with the original crew, uh, to parallel, I think why you probably feel, uh, should we say, a bit more nostalgic um, for that, because I think A is time. You know, you got to think back, you know, they've got, like, this is starting from the 60s and now they're here. It's their final time. They're, gonna, they, they're there together. This is it. Uh, and there's also, like, a sense of, with that comes history, doesn't it? So, yes, while you probably know, like think, okay, they've not always get on, got on, to see them on screen together or we're showing that camaraderie, it's a nicer, more feel that pays off. It goes like... Oh, that's really nice. but, but compare that to next gen where they've always got on, you know. So you, it, it always feels a bit. It, it didn't quite have that 
same punch, even though it's it still feels nice. It's still you know, you know, you, you still want it, but it just pay, I think it just pays off more when it's when you like with the original creature you got got time and also you, you've got that polarized opinion opinions of each other. So when they do finally show solid solidarity, even though it's just for a moment for a, a film, it's nicer. It feels a lot, it works a lot better. It feels like a lot more. I don't know. It it just I think it just it just works more. I think I think it just it hits you harder. I think I think Dave was certainly right in in terms of what the intentions were when they did when they brought the original crew back and when they brought the next generation crew into, into films because they've been trying to make um, original crew. If they had the whole Phase Two TV series, and they've been trying to make that, and then they were trying to make a film, and then. Um, kind of Star Wars came out and that was the kind of impetus for Paramount to actually give it a proper budget and do it for that and then because of that because of the time that passed from that which was over 10 years then they had kind of that that feeling there Um, and and also um, at that point uh, yeah, Star Trek hadn't been around for ages, so there was that factor, and also with it was two years after Star Wars, the motion picture, so those kind of films were still relatively fresh. These those kind of things that, at the time of Generations, we took for granted, because um, two was it two years after Generations, um, you had Independence Day. A couple of years before it, you had Terminator Two, so. Yeah. You'd have to just be this kind of constant explosion of these films that are getting more and more these blockbusters that are getting more and more sophisticated, and you t- and then you take the next generation crew, um, who were certainly popular, um, but and and certainly in all good things they had wrapped it up, and there were there there were it wasn't all what a happy family either, um, certainly in all good things one thing. That was really wrapped up was um, the animosity between Riker and Worf over Troy, and that was something that was certainly addressed. Um, and the uh, the ending of all good things is, is is absolutely beautiful. And and even just if all good things if they if they decided to end the series before all good things, and then put all good things as the first film, then. I would have had that top three, top four. I mean, I mean, you should watch all good things, then, shouldn't I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I should give her a rewatch. But I, I never got there with, uh, with the uh, next gen. So uh, where does that leave us then? Um, are we, are we all three. done with number top three? three. So we all got number three. Okay, who wants to go first with their uh, top three? Star Trek, well, Trek 2009, as we called it, at my number three. Um, yeah, it's the first of the reboot series. Um, many people go, oh, it's maybe like the weakest one, maybe. Um, oh. But no, I, I enjoyed it. Um, 
it was something, something it's something new wasn't it and it's very much kind of bringing back a much loved series for a new audience um i just think some of the casting was quite good i mean chris white has obviously been a sort of action kind of more as like a rom-com hero um but like a quinto sort of fresh off like sci-fi with like heroes and other similar shows um it just you know it really kind of captured the, the imagination of what track fights was from my point of view anyway um and that's why it belongs in my number three slot I, I on will this say, rankings chart. I, I will say I, this for uh, Trek, um, the, well, the sort of Star Trek, the 2009 one, is it was a good introduction for non-Trek fans to get into it. Yeah, definitely. Even if, though... If, you, if, like me, you're like, new to the series or had only seen next-gen films, yeah. then it was it was a way in. And the concept was smart as well, how, how they sort of... Plus, it looks so shiny. Yes, lots of lens flare. Sorry, Dave, I cut you yeah. off. <laughs> yeah, the lens flare I didn't like so much. But, I put Star Trek 2009 in the same place. Now, oh, on the one hand, it's a reflection of really enjoying this film. But on the other hand, I think it's a sign of how weak this series is. Because I love Star Trek, but my third best film is a very compromised, very um, commercial, down, very badly film. Now... It's got a sense of joy to it. I mean, I walked out nearly in tears. I mean, I was just so happy it had come back and I had the music and I had just Star Trek back and it needed rebooting. I know fans don't want that. They want, you know, it's carry on from Voyager and all the rest of it. But, like, let somebody else play in your sandpit. And no one was able to. And, and you don't get that. You know, the big fans just don't get it at all. Um I wish they did. I wish I could get it across to people who love Star Trek but hate the reboots, how necessary this was. But at the same time, it didn't help its own cause by being really fucking stupid. And this film is like, you know, Exhibit B, effectively, because Into Darkness is worse. But it's not very bright. And Chris Pine's miscast. I mean, he's better by the time we get to Beyond, but he's miscast. But at the same time, it needed something. And the very fact I walked out with like tears in my eyes tell me that this got it more right than wrong. So it's a sign the series is weak, that such a flawed film is at three. But it's also a sign that um, this film got a lot more right than it got wrong. So at number three for me, Star Trek 2009. Yeah, I must admit, I did leave the cinema buzzing when I left it left it when I saw it at the cinema um, so it, it was that I enjoyable it that hard. I mean Charlie's put like beyond ahead of it for example and and I don't think he's wrong I think it's it, it's a bit like um, it's a bit like when you talk about the living daylights versus um, License to Kill you're not wrong whatever your opinion is there yeah they're both uh, great as much as I've got an opinion and it's a strong opinion, and three of the four of us, at least, in fact, all four of us, I think, share the same opinion. Um, but there is a case to be made the other way, and it's the same with this, that this film is so flawed that the fact you might put a relatively safety-first film like Beyond ahead of it doesn't surprise me, and it is safety-first Beyond. It, 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 doesn't get, it doesn't make any mistakes. It, it's trying to like get it right. And it largely does it, but it doesn't excite me in the same way this film did for mm. all its flaws. 
So it belongs in the top five beyond, but this belongs in the top three. So is it Charlie? It is. Yeah, my um, number three is the search for Spock. Ah. Um, yeah. Um, We've lo- not made it. fun of each other all night. This is the closest I would get in top three, really. Well, I was just thinking. <laughs> I was just thinking Star Trek Nine and number three WTF. Yeah, I know. I, know. <laughs> I feel the same way about this because this film is just cheap and nasty. You surprised yourself with it, didn't you? <laughs> no, I think so. Yeah. Even Charlie. I, so. um, I love this film. I love it. Um, it's definitely got some weaker points, and I, I myself find it um, kind of some bits are kind of boring. Um, some of them, the kind of stuff when they're just walking around the planet and the, the weather's changing and stuff like that. But there are so many indelible images from this film and sequences that are just kind of seared into my brain. Um, I would say, Charlie, the stealing of the Enterprise is better than anything in Star Trek 2009. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I definitely um, say that. If you stop them both after 45 minutes, um, Search for Spot wins. No doubt. Yeah, I guess, and and the destruction of the Enterprise as well for me um, is is. Well, amazing. it has an emotion that no further, no future destructions could match. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the thing, and that and kind of that's that's what um, does help the film for me is that I do find it very emotional, and uh, whether it's a means to an end or or not, and I and. Yeah, it just, I mean, yeah, I, I could talk about the fact that it does look cheap in places. Um, I think it looks great in places as well. I mean, the, the stuff with the, with the new miniatures and the, uh, the the space dock and the Excelsior and oh, the, the Bird of Prey. The, and- the, yeah, the, the Excelsior looks amazing. And also space dock, when they leave it, is lit amazingly. Yeah, I mean, it's it, such a it cheap was, film. That looks wonderful. Definitely hampered by the, uh, um, the, the fact that Paramount wouldn't let him go on location. So everything was done on stage um, in the entire film, and uh, and just the the end is is so beautiful. And it's very uh, long winded though the ending, isn't it? They well, the, the, oh, well, the end, the, 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 the kind of the maybe the. Um, I mean, object. nothing's ever perfect, Charlie. I mean, I'm not. Oh no, no, say no, I'm no. not criticizing. When, when, when when I, when I am I, criticizing <laughs> it, but. I, I do understand that, like nothing's ever perfect. Oh yeah, but when when I say the ending, I mean the right, the final ending. As soon as as soon as it's over, and Spock's about to be taken on his way back to mm. the thing, and then when he stops and talks to Kirk, yeah, and there's that perfect moment, and then um, big family hug, a massive, huge rush of emotion. And then James Horner finishes it off with the original Star Trek scene, with the actual theme, not the fanfare. And it's just, yeah, it's just a wonderful, wonderful moment. And uh, I, I love his score, actually. Um, I, I always thought of, like, three as a lesser two, but actually his so score stands comparison to anything in two. Yeah. It, again, it's, it's, it's on a much more kind of more emotional side than... Uh, I mean, two... If you boil down to, to it, two probably got the, the great emotional moments because of what happened. But in terms of kind of the general tone of it, whereas two is is a lot more um, yes. Yes. kind of swashbuckling and uh, that kind of thing. Mm. Yes, screw you all. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, fucking too, 
Yes, yes, fuck you too. (laughs) (laughs) Sexual chocolate. Colourful metaphors. All right, Chris, what have you got at three? Uh, Number three, I have Beyond. Um, I was actually quite surprised this was quite high. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I I would have been at the outset, but when, when you talked about it in review, I, I sensed that surprise. I was like, yeah, I think he's edging that way. Yeah, I, I, I just generally, I think it's funny because I, I was kind of like, yeah, it's okay coming out of cinema. It didn't have that same buzz as like the, the 09 Star Trek did. Well, I think um, if you if you wanted proof of that, chart, um, Chris, go back and listen to Chris yeah. and I on the Cinematronics podcast at the end of the summer. Yeah, we were all very very positive about it, but almost not positive enough. We were damning it with faint praise. We were all like, "Yeah, it's all right." And and actually, after after Into Darkness, it was all we wanted. <laughs> well, it's, it's watching this in context of everything else. It kind of. It was the Star Trek film it, it, that that needed just to rewrite um, in Starness off the the planet because it may, it does make that film completely redundant. Um, this is what the the sequel to uh, Star Trek 09 should have been. Um, yes. I think uh, it's it's solid. It's enjoyable. It fine. It gets the characters right. Um, I think it's well handled. I think and it you... makes the worst film in the series obsolete. Yes. And yeah. and I, I think the only real flaw this film really has is the villain needed work. Uh it you know it just what you he, know, he seems like an afterthought, doesn't he, Chris? Yeah, I and you know, and to be honest if you took, I mean if you if you if you gave this series like a handicap system I you rank the films, but like you took account of the problems they were up against, i.e., you went well Star Trek Five, it got its budget slashed or or, or whatever. Yeah. If you took into account how quickly this was written, it would be higher for all of us. Mm. It's not a bad film. It's just you've got to judge what's in front of you, and it has been compromised by the fact that they really rushed it. But I think even that, I think they nailed the, what was key and important. Um, and I think it's the it's one of the best rushed films I've ever seen. Yeah. Mm. So, and I don't know. I think watching it again, I've just it's just really enjoyable. And I think it looks great as well. Uh, the, the the destruction of the Enterprise, even though it feels like we've just we've seen it all before. But I think what's really good about it, um, okay. and and I think you know, and and I will even though I put Spock. There's such a spot really, really low. Um, when the Enterprise gets destroyed in that, it actually... I, I it, felt it, bad. I mean, I put, I put it at eight. Yeah. Which is it, towards the top of my bottom six or seven or so. Yeah. And it's because they're all kind of bland, but I can't hate the search for Spock. It's all right. But and, when... and the thing is, it has to sit between the Wrath of Khan, which is wonderful, and the Voyage Home, which is really enjoyable. And... Um, and it holds its own, if you like. It, it's not like magnificent, dreadful, magnificent when you look at the three. It's the weakest of the three, but it's all right. Mm. Uh, and to that basis, I can't be too harsh on it. So, like, I'm I'm kind of happy with putting it at eighth. Yeah, but even the, the destruction of the Enterprise, though, it's um, you know I did put it low, but at least in that wonderful. film, it means something. 
you know, uh, so I can't take that away from it. It doesn't necessarily mean too much in Generations, but in Beyond, yes, they destroyed the Enterprise again, but it actually means something. It, it actually represents something as a purpose for that. So, yes. um, uh, yeah, I tip my hat to it. To it. I, yeah, I, I think I, mm. I really admire it, and I think it's really, really well-crafted film um, with issues aside on certain things. But generally speaking, I think it did a really good job, and they've introduced a new character, um, which I think oh, everyone I, I is fairly you, happy with. Yeah, I really so, would like Jayla to replace um, Chekhov. Yeah, I think it makes sense, doesn't it? I think so. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think yeah, I think it it did a really good job, and also uh, the cast has never been better in the roles. Um, Chris Pine included. So that, yeah, I cannot, I cannot argue. No, definitely high point I mean, in the new series. I mean, you would expect them to get better over time, but this is like a quantum leap. Yeah, sure. it's like working with a plot that makes sense, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, that makes all the difference. Top two, folks. Let's get this done so we can fuck off and go home. And move on <laughs> to something else. <laughs> Watch a film series we aren't really bored with. Um, <laughs> I love Star Trek, but I am really happy to be done with this. Um, okay, number two for me, and I think there's going to be a bit of agreement here, is The Undiscovered Country. Now, The Undiscovered Snap. Country is very slightly hamstrung by a very poor murder mystery. Um, but that is purely, like, an intellectual response. In that, like, if I look at it and go, right, okay, what works, what doesn't, I can pick holes in it. If I was determined to just watch it and enjoy it as it goes along, wouldn't really be a problem. And I think Kim Cattrall is not an actress I like, is wonderful in this. I think Leonard Nimoy is wonderful in this. I think Shatner is wonderful in this. And it's bookended by terrible performances from the Shatner. He's crap in five and he's crap in seven. Um, I love, they are too old. This film has no right to be working at all. Because they're too old. I mean, they really are. And and the thing is, you don't have to be young to captain a starship. It's not about running around. It's one of my problems with the reboot. It's all about youth. This isn't. But there's a difference between Wrath of Khan old and Undiscovered Country old. They're getting too old by now. It's time this was over. And when you throw in, like, a ham-fisted... murder mystery and some dodgy you know morphing effects and all the rest of it this should have been a disaster but it's written by nicholas mayer it's neck it's um directed uh, directed and written by nicholas mayer it's handled by somebody who understands the themes of getting older and having to let go and this crew make a virtue of the fact or this film makes a fact of a, a virtue of the fact the crew's too old in that they're brought up against the Klingons and instead of just going let's judge this situation as it is they're going well they've always been our em- enemy so they're they're carrying with them a bunch of like age age old prejudice and they don't just like carry it in vague dialogue it comes out in the way they behave. They have dinner with the Klingons. And frankly, if you had to like stop the film at the end of that and said, who's in the right, the Klingons were less piss potty than fucking the Federation. The Federation behaved like idiots, even like seasoned captains like Kirk. 
I just think it's wonderful to take a crew that are too old and don't really work in the parts anymore and take the fact that they're too old and don't work in the parts anymore as and make a virtue of it. It's wonderful to see Sulu on his own ship. It, it's wonderful to see uh, Spot. Um, it's probably the best Leonard Nimoy performance in the series. So it's flawed, but I have to say it's only flawed because the film ahead of it's a masterpiece. If the film I put at number one didn't exist, this would be a very distinguished number one. So at number two, for me, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Yep, I absolutely agree. Yeah, number two. Me three. Um, Yeah, I mean, you could have said it better, Dave. It was my um, first Star Trek film going in, and what I actually really like about it is actually quite adult. You know, it doesn't pander to... um, to any audience outside of Star Trek, it's like, oh, we've got to have, like, you know, sort of unnecessary a- It doesn't scenes. make heroes of the Federation. Yeah. It does, because they're on the side of right. But that dinner is such a key scene to me, because yeah. the Federation are fucking idiots during I, it. I just think the dinner scene is pretty just awkward on everyone. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't feel... No one comes out of it very well, do they? Uh, but when you look at, say, the motion picture, which I've, I've got a lot of positive things to say about, but Kirk is just a bit too much of a twat. When I look at this film, yeah, Kirk is a twat, but, like, they killed his son. Mm. And, he, and he's right on the verge of retirement. Why would he want to change now? So it's all perfectly understandable. But we have to sit and watch this really awkward dinner. And yeah, I like, I like it. But, um, yeah, it's, it's actually quite mature. Uh, you also got Christopher Plummer uh, being a good villain as well, uh, which also helps. You're chewing up the scenery. Yeah, uh, quoting um, Shakespeare and, and whatever. <laughs> it's, not always, it's not so much dialogue, it's just exchanging quotes and... Yeah, but it, Shakespeare at each other. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's they overdo the Shakespeare. Yeah, they do, but it's, it's a nice touch and it's a very poignant film, obviously, because it's the last film you, with like the original. You never crew understand and Shakespeare just... unless you hear it in the original Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> one of the best. That's in the film. <laughs> but we've all got it top four, though, folks. Yeah, um, I think that speaks to this film. It's flawed. It is. I mean. Uh, where three at least of us are going to put the same film at the top and we can't pick the same sort of holes in it that we can with this, but it's wonderful. I mean, for all of its flaws, and I can pick a lot of flaws with this film, they're too old, the murder mystery's rubbish, etc., etc. But The Undiscovered Country is absolutely grade A Star Trek and... Chris said earlier in the series, he said that like if I had to introduce someone, I'd start them with the undiscovered country. And at the time, I was like, I don't get what you mean because it, it, there's a weight of history that informs this film. Having said that, if I had to pick the best bits of the original series, the undiscovered country and the Star Trek original series crew films, it's all distilled in this film. I think this is actually a wonderful introduction to Star Trek to anybody, providing you're there to talk to them afterwards. So when they finish watching this and they say, well, what is it about the Klingons and why did Kirk feel this way? Providing you can answer those questions afterwards, this is actually a really good place to start. Becca, do you want to add anything before we go to Charlie for his number two? 
Pardon. Um, no, I think <laughs> <laughs> we're all about to have a big number one, though. Okay. <laughs> what are you doing? Bathroom is your own private time. Um, no, I think, yeah, it's pretty much been said, and you guys have said it so eloquently before. Um, obviously, it's poignant because it's uh, last week, obviously, the, you know, the the, um, the classic crew. Um, as we thought, obviously, Roddenberry as well. Um, yeah, so let's find out. Charlie, what's at your number two spot on this ranking chart? Um, my number two is going to be everyone's number one, um, which is the Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Um, detail, detail. So, no, it's just, it's it's a masterpiece. I love it. But yeah, another film just edges it. Just pips it to the post. Yeah. Um, okay. I think actually, because we ought to finish off talking about the Wrath of Khan. So let's go on to your number one, Charlie. Tell us why it's your number one. Right. Um, so my number one is obviously the motion picture, um, just because it just has... Um, it has a place in your heart, basically. Yeah, yeah basically. Heart. there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, the thing well, is, no. I, I, the, 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 just for my part, the motion picture's gone from near the bottom to, like, top half. And that's genuine. I've seen more in it this time than I've ever seen before. But of all of the films that aren't in the top two or three for me, the motion picture is the one that I can understand being top because it's a film you either get or you don't. And Charlie just gets it. Yeah, I I think I see it as kind of different as a lot of people um, because of the way I see it as, like like all of Star Trek and, and most kind of films, um, very much a product of its own time, yes. and the fact is that it's a very seventies approach to Star Trek. Not just when you talk about seventies, you think about flares and stuff like that, and clothes and things like that, and haircuts. But in kind of like the way that the film is very much full of conflict, and I think that's why it rubs a lot of people the wrong way, because the people who are in conflict are our main characters. Now, when people talk about the difference between Star Trek, uh, between the motion picture and the Wrath of Khan, really it's that the crew in the Wrath of Khan, yeah, have that camaraderie much, much like they did in the original series. But again, this is set, what is it, 13 years, well, I don't know if it's set 13 years, but it's around 10-something years after. I think it's somewhere like 12 years after the motion picture, The Wrath of Khan is. Yeah. So between the original series and the motion picture is however long, I don't know, um, however long it takes them to to refit the Enterprise, I guess. Um, But on that, you have a lot of people that have gone their separate ways. You have Kirk that's gone to an admiral's job, to a desk job. Um, and this is person, someone who was clearly very protective of his ship, of the Enterprise, and very much someone who was the captain and who was very much enjoyed, not not only enjoying, but very kind of, as Spock puts it in Rather of Khan, his destiny um, to be the captain. And um, so then you and then you have Spock, who's left Starfleet and gone off to do his culinary, 
Bones has left Starfleet and gone off to do whatever. whatever. Um, so you've got people kind of all these these three different people who are what makes up what people loved about Star Trek. These three characters that were all brought together, and we are asked as an audience, as Star Trek fans as well, to look at them and consider who they are as people and what their agendas are. And for that to go from the very kind of camaraderie, the the very inseparable three and what they were like on the original series, to go from that to people that are no longer trusting each other, not trusting each other's motives, that for me is not only interesting, but so much more realistic instead of them necessarily just coming back and everything kind of being hunky-dory and normal as well. Um, You've got Kirk and his need for the ship, which is just generally a metaphor for being in command. I mean, certainly the the physical ship is very much a big part of that, but it's about him being in command and him realising that he was wrong to take that job. I think my only problem with the motion picture, Charlie, is that if you spend an entire film going, um, what we're about to see something amazing, it needs to be amazing when you get there. The motion picture does a better job of it than Star Trek V, in that both films go, wait till we get here, it's going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. At least Star Trek, even the motion picture with 1979 effects, gives you a sense of scale with Vija. Um, I I like this film now and I've never liked it before but I mean I'm looking at our rankings here and uh, Becca and I have identical top sixes which is hilarious when you look at our Bond rankings which is yeah. different. we didn't agree on a, we didn't agree with a damn thing there and now we've got identical top halves <laughs> me, 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 Becca and Chris have identical tops twos and that doesn't make your choices any less valid at all but I think it's very understa- I think you have to do a bit more thinking about and talking about why the motion picture would top it to convince people Yeah. whereas The Wrath of Khan and Discovered Country are very very easy films to like sell and I don't mean commercially, I just mean as a concept of why you would rank them so high. The motion picture does, it, it's the most oddly paced film. I mean, it really is. You've got a load of getting the team back together, which is really odd. But having said that, the things that people hate about that film, I adore. I mean, mm-hmm. the biggest knock is um, Kurt going to the ship and it takes six minutes and it's da, 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 and it's really slow. I think that is absolutely magnificent, and it and it achieves a degree of majesty the never the series never approaches afterwards. Yeah, and I so think, I, I, th- I like the motion picture. I can't love it like you like it, but there are bits in it that I just go, yeah, you must appreciate this. It doesn't belong in the bottom two or three, where I always thought it kind of bottom belonged in the bottom four, let's say. Um, it doesn't. It, it just objectively doesn't. What you like is what you like, and that's fair enough. But the motion picture 
has absolutely sublime moments that nothing down there um, has. McCoy's yeah. uh, disco gear for one. Well, that's sublime, yeah. <laughs> so it's funny because I look at my rankings and I've got the motion picture right next to Beyond and they're mirror opposites because the motion picture, for all its limitations, has such a sweeping scale, whereas Beyond is almost like a TV episode with a massive budget just mm. trying to keep the scenes going. They are opposite ends of the scale in terms of ambition. Beyond is like, let's just try and keep this damn thing going. Whereas the motion picture is like, let's try and transcend the genre. Yeah. I think as well, maybe maybe something that kind of sets it apart a bit is, for me, it's the only Star Trek film... Um, and it's probably a different, different to the series as well. Um, that doesn't feel like it's militarized. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, I like what Nicholas Mayer did to oh, the series. Certainly. But once you add the naval overtones to it, you Im- immediately make it pseudo-military. Yeah, and it feels genuinely like it's about. I mean, yeah, exploration. Yeah, it is about. Um, I mean, it's the same thing as every other one. There's a distress call. There's stuff going on. The Enterprise the only, is the only ship. Yeah, the only ship in range. Yeah. <laughs> the only ship yeah. ever. <laughs> but it's the way. Um, yeah, the, the way it is about exploring that ship and about how the ways of it, of approaching the problems in it are interpreted by those different people: Decker, Kirk, Spock, and what their intentions are behind Spock especially and with how the kind of philosophical um, kind of pseudo-religious aspects as well with the whole Conanar thing as well and certainly there's a lovely parallel um, which I don't think gets mentioned nearly enough with Fiji and Spock Um, about the kind of it's about boiling uh if you think about what Colinar is, mm. it's about boiling somebody down to their essence yeah, and getting rid of like the insignificant uh, emotions to a Klingon are insignificant and pointless and not with any merit and point. Vija is pure essence of consciousness. It's all yeah. it is. So what Spock is trying to achieve, Vija automatically is, yeah, so it's about those two journeys being reversed and then coming parallel and then meeting in the middle and Vija making his, um, its um, meld with Ilya and Decker um, and then Spock having very much more kind of experienced a human side of him to the point where he cries. Which is a lovely scene. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think Spock in the films plays a better scene until we get to Star Trek VI and he's angry with um, King Patrol. Yeah. So <clears throat> with, without getting too pretentious or what have you, the kind of the profundity of, of, of that, that kind of idea is the kind of thing that makes yeah, me I get love it. this film. Absolutely. Okay, well, that leaves three of us putting the Wrath of Khan at the top. And, w- and when we came to, like, review them, Charlie, 
you actually said it's objectively the best film in the series. So tell us before we get onto it, we've all put it top. Uh, what do you like about the Wrath of Khan? Um, I love that it's got those characters being those characters. And again, I, I, I'm not sure because I'm not sure that would have happened without the motion picture being the way it is because of the way not only as the reaction to the film in in real life, the kind of the reception from, from many people, and also the, the kind of the way those characters are brought together at the end, it kind of, for me, it's the beginning of that series that people call a trilogy. Yes. I I think the... the the uh, the the motion picture is is an essential part of that, but besides that, it's a really really great fun film. Um, it does brilliantly in terms of the way Star Trek does with kind of allegory and the kind of weapons of mass destruction and people using something to that's create that creates things to uh, to destroy things. Um, the Khan and uh, and and Cook. Um, dynamic is is brilliant, and the way he yeah the way he brought it back even more naval than the original series, um, is just brilliant. And certainly the way it does have that personal feel, and the way Khan is out for personal vengeance, is something that just about every action film now tries to do, and every Star Trek, almost every Star Trek film has done since. That turned Star Trek on its head. When He's you look back at the original, with a vengeance. Yeah, when you look at the original series, I mean, Space, Space Seed was one out of what, however many um, original series episodes. Um, and the way all those original series episodes were and how they ended and what the dynamics were, to have that shows the impact of Prof of Khan. Is to show just how that has gone in terms of having that personal antagonist, and to have it much more to a kind of straightforward action. And it's and it's something that that I mean, this it it doesn't reflect badly on the Wrath of Khan at all, because it's a masterpiece. How can? But it's just whether it's unconscious or not, certainly not unconscious with when you have films like Nemesis and things like that, and even First Contact, where you have the race that are one mind and one consciousness boiled down into one person just so they can have a face-off. And also the emotion of the film. It's the the way... Emotional, not in terms, not just in terms of Kirk's journey, but obviously Spock as well, um, and the the way it does that, and then yeah, we all know what happens at the end, and and how that's presented, and uh, yeah, it's just and, and tonally, the way it flips from humour, because that's one thing about about the motion picture is it doesn't have a lot of humour, and some of it when it does is a bit awkward, but the Wrath of Khan perfected that balance of um, the kind of more cerebral aspects of Star Trek, the more thoughtful aspects, and the humour. 
Which I look is at why. something. I, I look at something like the two thousand and nine film. Yeah. Forget how badly written it is for a minute, because that that's a given. But I really like it. Now, but the film feels like product. It feels like people have sat in a room and said, "Right, this is a uh, an important IP. How do we bring it back?" And they've sat around and thrashed out this idea of like what beats do we need to hit. I'm sure that's true of the Wrath of Khan as well, in that the motion picture, quote-unquote, failed. It didn't. It grossed a lot higher than this film. But even so, um, it was perceived as um, not the right uh, return for the money spent on it. So I'm sure they did sit in a room and think, what do we need to do? Hmm. But there is something about Nicholas Mayer's involvement in this that makes it feel so organic it makes it feel like he, he's taken the crew and naturally captured where they would be at this stage of their life he's captured where they would what their concerns would be so you look at someone like Kirk it's a little bit like Picard you know he's chosen the career over the the family but in Kirk's case as opposed to Picard there's actually a family there that he could have had You've got Spock talking about, is it about him? Is it about the many? Is it about the mission? You've got this whole thing about aging. You've got this whole thing about the passage of time. You've got this whole thing about free will. There are so many things in this film that feel like they've happened on it by accident. They can't have done. They must have sat in a room and, and thought about it and come up with these ideas. But it feels like the most natural, organic drop in to where these characters might be at this stage of their lives. Mm. They've never captured that since you look at the motion picture and they're trying to wait 2001, um, not entirely unsuccessfully, but it's a bit of a, a cerebral exercise Two and uh, three and four are kind of sequels to this five is Shatner's ego. You know, you look at it as, as you go through the series and there is nothing that for all its intellect is so unconsciously, joyously just there. It just came out. It just came out of where they are. And I, I think that makes this a very, very special film. And I like the fact that it doesn't pander either. If this was an Orsian Kurtzman script, we would have had to have a big explanation of when he knocked up Carol Marcus. <laughs> Uh, you know, and how and when and, and, and how it happened and how they split up and whatever. The audience is trusted to go, look, Kirk's been around a bit and this happened and he got on with his life. You know? Yeah, so, we don't need everything explained to us, do we? And no. I, I kind of yeah. like it in films the, where the is, it's just left. The other thing is, uh, my final point on it, and then I'll let you two um, talk about it. My final point on it is that William Shatner is a classically trained actor and he runs the gamut from like absolutely sublime to almost unbearable. Um, <laughs> and it, he, uh, is, he's talking is, about his music career here. But the thing is, <laughs> I did say sublime in there. William Shatner is capable of work that almost no other actors are. But he's nice. also capable of like rubbish that no other actors are. 
it, it is one of the most bizarre enigmas I've ever known in the entertainment business in the I, I can pick out so many scenes that are just like, are you fucking kidding? You try and defend Star Trek to somebody because you love it. And you say, well, it's actually quite cerebral and all the rest of it. And all they got to do is go on to YouTube and call up some William Shatner sketch and go, really? You know, like, really? You think this is good? But I look at his performance in this film. He's, he's all right in a couple of the others. But genuinely, William Shatner, I don't know what it is they captured out of this guy. who can be really hammy, but he so encompasses where he is in life. And he plays the emotion without having to play the emotion. Any actor worth their salt can turn on tears and stuff like that and turn on rage. But I am sold that Kirk is tired and then almost reborn in the story. I think it's wonderful. It's just a really well-crafted film, uh, generally speaking, which is why it's a fan favourite, because, I mean, apart from having like a clear villain, uh, which I know Star Trek films don't have to have a villain, but I think it helps when it really makes your film popular. Um, and this one has... It helps, the... it, it helps, providing you haven't gone, who should be our villain. Yeah. Um, it, but... You know, if, it's almost like they've started with... They've almost gone, let's make a follow-up to this film. And he slotted into the role as the villain, which is very different. I I, 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 I can't remember if did we talk about this, but did they nearly recast Khan? Or was it always the case of getting the original actor? Um, I think it was always him. I don't remember talking about that. No, no I, like, I mean, I don't know what his star power was. I mean, but you can kind of like, I think if it was, if it was made today... Um, they would they would probably consider recasting him. Uh, I don't consider know. It. I mean, whether they do, it, it's a different yeah. matter. I mean, we're talking like filmmakers are complete imbeciles now, and they're not. There's still mm. plenty of like good content made. It, it, it's quite possible that a film now would remake something from, let's say, the '80s and cast the same person. Yeah, it is possible. But I think you're right in saying they would consider it definitely. Um, it would I'm... be a, it would be a talking point. I'm glad they didn't because um, he's great in it. I mean, it's. I, th- I think he's, he's he's just one. He's just one of the guys. Just nails that role. He just nails the role of Khan, and I like how he doesn't sort of play him as an archetype evil villain. There's a purpose to what to how he how he is. There's a purpose to why to how he how he feels. There's a purpose to his actions. I mean, his very own downfall is his quest for vengeance, and how he's just obsessed with it. Um, I mean, I, I can't fully say that like I, I'm on board with his every stance in this film. But at the same time, you meet someone on a ship. The captain um, allows her to join you in your punishment. He puts you on a planet that is going to be tough but survivable. Six months later, everything goes wrong. And she's not up to it and dies. And he never even stops back to say, see how it's going. I can at least understand why Khan would be pissed off. And and that is something that future villains never have. I mean, you look at somebody like Shinzon, because that is the most um that's the most obvious copy of this film. And it's all to do with like what am I when you're around? And it's like, well, you're worried about yourself relative to Picard, but 
you didn't even really know Picard existed until fairly recently. <laughs> um, you look at something like the Wrath of Khan, he's had 15 years and he's lost the love of his life and lived in extreme tough conditions. Um, yeah, he'd be pissed off. Yeah. Because he's just hungry for Avengers, isn't he? Pretty much. Especially when you put it, you know, after watching Space Seed, you know, there's, he kind of like respects Kirk as he's like, he kind of like, you know, he's, he, he, there's a, like a mutual respect between the two. Um, so for someone like Khan, for that to happen would diminish that completely. They would just, it would, it would times his anger by ten, you know, if 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 he didn't have that. So, yeah, I. I I just think it just it's just really mature, really well executed, um, really watchable. Um, there's is a reason why it's you know, the the best Star Trek film. Well, well, why it's a favorite amongst fans because you know in 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 a, in a, the thirteen films that are there, it's quite easily the best film that's on there. You know, um, it's it's a crowd pleaser. I don't know. There's more, more to say yeah, about and, it. And Charlie Honestly, is a fabulous hair. Yeah, yeah. The motion pictures his favourite. <laughs> yeah, He's yeah. always said the Wrath of Khan is the best. Well, it's like uh, me picking a Casino Royale, isn't it? With uh... yeah, but I don't think you're wrong there. I think yeah. they're almost indistinguishable from each other. I mean, Casino Royale and On Honor, Majesty's Secret Service are both great films. They just have very different um, classes to them. In that, I think, for example, I think um, Honor Majesty's has a better score and it has better visuals because of Pitt's Gloria and stuff. But you can't possibly argue with Casino Royale. It's a wonderful film. I think here, I, I think uh, The Wrath of Khan gets far more right than the motion picture. But the motion picture is like this singular thing. I th- it sits outside the rest of the series. Had, had Charlie sat here tonight and said The Search for Spock was top of his list, I, I, whilst I would still respect that because he's totally entitled to his opinion, I'd have more to argue with. <laughs> Because I think it fits more into like the general piece. No, the motion picture is it, the motion picture is something all of its own. Yeah, and I, to be honest, I completely get why Charlie would put motion picture. I wouldn't actually argue against it ever because I have I generally do respect that as a Star Trek film. Um, but even with that being said, even like even if like um, Rafa Khan wasn't favoured as well as it was, if, as well as it is, it's the type of film that plays into my wheelhouse anyway so it's always going to be a fa- like a favourite of mine to, to put in there regardless so uh, yeah Becca do you want to say any more on Rafa Khan? Um, I don't think I can add anything more to it to what's already been said um, really um, except you love his chest except <laughs> yes he does have a fabulous chest and fabulous hair <laughs> you just write the greying of my I'm not really that not really that shallow um, well, it's like because you're saying I am. <laughs> 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 like, he, he's no Roger, is he? Back. <laughs> well, well, he's not happily married in the it's same like, way. You know, it's like when you think when you think of Bond, you can't. I mean, obviously, Roger's a personal favourite for, for a lot of people and of a certain generation as well. But obviously, for, for many, um, Connery is the quintessential Bond. Um, and well, there's been no other Eric, well, apart from obviously Chris Pine, but obviously, Shatner is. As you say, he's just very sort of unique, sort of you know, of, of his time, um, and like he he is cut as, as undeniable, um, and the same with Khan as well. 
Cumberbatch had a good go, but sadly, he ain't can. Cumberbatch, I feel really sorry for him. I mean, I don't feel that sorry for him because he's got an absurdly successful career. But, like, how the fuck do you follow that character with the same name That's when you're it, a I mean, white Englishman? It, it's just, you haven't even remotely got, you've just been given, I, I don't want to rag on it again because I've done it twice, but it's like, it, it, you can't. You're in a no-win situation. You really no, I think are. What, what they've done is that they tried to pick somebody with very well. I don't know, similar iconicity. I don't know what the word would be. He's very sort of a cultural icon. Um, it was something like Ricardo Montalbano, like Fantasy Island, and of course, obviously, Space Seed, Star Trek. Um, and tried to pick somebody else who is sort of captures the moment of you know what's going on in popular culture right at this second. I, I don't um, think they're even remotely similar. I no, think, this is it. I was going to say they're think, not on... Uh, you look at... You no, look, I've, yeah, I've gone to agree with you. They're massive kind of, budget film. They're, not, they're not on the same level. I, I almost feel like they would have cast whoever was big and available at that time. Exactly. And it happened to be Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. But if you'd gone back... I don't know, 10 years ago. Colin Farrell or something like that, maybe. Colin Farrell, Sam Rockwell, something like that. 10 years back before that, might it have been Tom Cruise? You know, it's almost... That would have been interesting. It's got nothing to do with Khan, Nooney and Singh. It's got to do with... We're going to call whoever it is Khan, who can we cast? Yeah, exactly. They've kind of done it backwards, haven't they, really? Yeah. Um, It's just a bad idea in general, isn't it, really? Just... Well, you know, just what's the point? Well, yeah, I'm not. I'm not kind of bashing that film, but as I was just to say, you, you can't really. Um, I mean, they're both very much of their time, of their eras, um, and yeah, they're kind of for that point, they're not on the same but level. The both, both feels eras, but less like that's product it. than any of the reboot films. Now, it's, it's, it's sure got, they're all much... product. They're all there to try to make money, but I feel the sort of, I feel the sort of shadow of like committee conversations when it comes to the reboots in a way I didn't with many of the original crew films. And I think part of that is the original crew films didn't have such lofty ambitions. They just wanted to make enough money to keep going. Whereas you go and make something like into darkness and they want, they're not going to, but they want to make like a billion. So it's focus group to death in a way the wrath of Khan wasn't. Which doesn't really make sense. Cause if you're expecting like, to, to go to a film that only made X amount of money uh, and you want to do like a billion dollar film. It's a bit of a stretch then, isn't it? Because you're thinking like you're appealing to the fans. You want to appeal to more, to more essentially you want to appeal to people who, who aren't in the fan base, but yet you want to appeal to the fans by doing Khan again. It just doesn't make sense. You know, it's like, why don't you just do something new or, or, vent, or create a new character which gives the fans some, someone new and you can explain to the, the newcomers without kind of repeating old glories, you know. It just, I don't know. So that's it, folks. We've all ranked them. That's it. Um, surprise, surprise, Rafa Khan is number one for most of us. So, uh... yeah. uh, and, and, and Charlie, really, apart from the undiscovered country, as much as I don't love the motion picture, I think he's picked the only one outside of those two films that like, I can understand. Mm-hmm. Because it's a film you either get or you don't. Yeah. And I, and I don't fully, but I, I do enough to get why he does. Um, I, I think there's a lot wrong with it, but there is something majestic about the, rigid, the original motion picture that they never captured again. 
the overture and the music and, and the sense of scale and the 70 millimeter and all the rest of it. Anyway, Becca, we got a couple of questions, haven't we? Yes, we have a couple of questions from a couple of listeners. So Carl Wonders says on Facebook, uh, what does it take to be a good Star Trek film? And how does that differ, if at all, from being a good film in general? I think that's quite an interesting question. And I think you can apply it to any like a Bond film or uh, Indiana Jones or any film that's of a canon or of a, of a series. Um, so what, what do we think to that one? Um, for me, I, I actually think the, the worst thing, the worst thing you can do is is trying to go for a formula. What does it take to make a good Star Trek film? Well, they've been trying to do that since 1982, and all they've done is copy that 1982 film. All you got to do is stick it on the Enterprise and try and like capture the characters one way or another. Well, you can also uh, follow the formula and be a dodgy well not dodgy but be a quite poor film you know it it depends how vague the form there is as well i mean with bond you just got like oh you got to have a cue scene or it's got to be uh, a thing where he does this on and that it's not rather yeah, than that star trek well it isn't like every star trek film has a scene with the doctor 40 minutes in for example yeah. it, it's not structured uh, uh, strictly i mean I, I, yeah, I, I do take the point because when I look at something like First Contact, it doesn't feel like a Star Trek film to me. So there's, there, there must be something within it that is Star Trek. But I think the worst thing you can do is go in and say what makes a good Star Trek film because what makes a good Star Trek film leads them to say what has been a good Star Trek film, which leads them inexorably to the fucking Wrath of Khan huh? and an attempt to remake it. And we've had it to death. Yeah, that's what they're all trying to do, haven't they, since that time? They've all gone, to... well, it needs a really strong villain. And it's like, well, yes, it might need a strong right villain. Right one, then. I, I, I think you need... I think you just need to just simplify what makes a good Star Trek film. And for me, it's staying true to the, the heart and soul of what Star Trek actually is and the characters who you are, who are portraying. Uh, that is key. You can sort of... Play with like okay, you need to have a good villain and a good plot. Um, that's probably be the third one, a good actual story to tell. Um, but but that's basically it. I think if you do that, you have a good Star Trek film. Um, and you don't necessarily need a good villain. Well, you know it helps, but you don't necessarily need that depending on what the story is. You know, I mean, Voyage Home proves that. So. Yeah, I, you've got those three core ingredients there, haven't you? As, as long as you kind of have those, yeah, at your I, absolute base. I, um, I, I, yeah, I think the answer is pretty simple. It's just like stay true to what Trek is and the characters. You know, portray the characters as 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 truly as as they would, and then beyond that, it's down if if the answer is down to um, story, direction, and how good the performances are. So, yeah, um, but that those two are key. I, I would say. No, I, I pretty much agree with that actually, because you kind of yes. You know, how does it, what does it take to make a great Trek film as compared to like a, a standalone like genre film, for example? Um, but now, coming, well, not, not from a filmmaking background, but coming from like kind of like film studies approach, um, I, I would be inclined to agree with Chris really. You kind of, you've got, you, you do have to have like, your, you know, obviously coming from like being a Bond fan, um, there are sort of, you know, Bond films where all, all the boxes are ticked, you know, you've got your sexy girls, exotic locations. Blah blah blah. Mm. Um, 
doesn't always support good ones. Yeah. Like, and you're not but, bothered if like one or two aren't there. No, it's like we've got Casino Royale, you? for example, who doesn't tick, who hardly ticks any of those boxes. Yeah. It, it, it just like sort of things you make, like you know, in it. It's, it's like ingredients, isn't it, really? Well, that's it exactly. But I think with yeah, in terms of as long as you stay, yeah, you've got a, a good story. Um, you stay true to the, to the spirit of the original and, and to the spirit of, of the characters as well. Um, and you try to do right by that. Um, then in theory, <laughs> you should have a decent Star Trek film. Yeah. Um, but I think that could be said for any film that's like a, of a series, like with. Um, like Crystal Skull, for example, it fell down on many of those, and perhaps that's why it, you know, was received the, the way it was received. Yeah, they took it in Indiana Jones trying to make a sci-fi film out of it. it just like, well, exactly, it it's like no, it doesn't. You know, it doesn't really work. Um, and I don't know, it might happen to some of the later films that we're going to be covering, but we'll see as we go along. Um, but you yeah, know, I, I would agree with you, Chris. Definitely, um, you sort of, we've got to have those sort of three core ingredients, as it were, um, so through to that, and then yeah, hopefully, if you have a good story as one on top. And then it will just flourish from there, really. It's such an intangible thing that it's difficult um, to kind of... Because you say, be true to the, the characters, that kind of thing. It depends where that frame of reference is coming from. Are you referring to the original series? Um It'll, it'll be whatever Star Trek film you're making, you know. If I mean, if it's a new set of characters, then obviously that... Goes out the window, but um, yeah, no, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> but, the new crew or something. But so. yeah, I, I would guess in that case, and you would just sort of stay true to what Star Trek actually is. But yeah, the, the spirit um, of the original. Plans. Yeah, but I was assuming it would like either be original series or next gen. You know, assuming that be you have to like stay true to those characters. But other than that, they've almost tried to copy a formula that wasn't there really. There is no stereotypical Star Trek. Star Trek belongs on TV. I think that's actually going to be our second question in a minute. But I think that um, you're trying to copy something without understanding what made it work. The Wrath of Khan did not work because there was some villain in it who was really good. The Wrath of Khan worked for loads of reasons. Firstly, one of the best William Shatner performances ever. One of the best Leonard Nimoy performances ever. Um, this meditation on aging, um, the first time we'd seen characters in an historic show or, or an historic IP um, move on and age and change, uh, all of those things. And actually Khan was the, the sort of icing on the cake. He wasn't the story. And they've tried to copy the bit that really doesn't matter. You know, the, Khan's great, Ricardo Montalban's great, the film's great, but if you copy Khan, you've missed the point. Yeah, they're always trying to recapture that magic kind of made by Khan, really. They spent, kind of spent, spent their energy trying to do that rather than make anything new. But if you try and define what makes The Wrath of Khan great, it isn't really Khan. No. It, it is Khan from sort of Kirk's perspective and how they interact and all the rest of it. But you can't just dump that character into another film or something like it, and therefore make it and great. have the same effect. It, it, no, it's, it's some not, of its parts, really, isn't it? It's not what made that film great. What made that film great is a very vain actor. It was almost very meta, like I said at the time. You took a very vain actor and got him to drop his vanity, and that was much more powerful than taking an actor that never had any vanity in doing it. Sure. 
there's something about getting somebody like a Shatner to drop their vanity that's more powerful than getting somebody that never had any in the first place. So I'll lead into our second question. Obviously, we've got Star Trek 14 coming soon and a new Trek TV series on the way. Mm. Um, yeah, so Richard Jenkinson says, will Star Trek be best now to remain as a TV series only? Um, characters can be explored more and the stories can be more cerebral and perhaps more of a, have more of a uh, Gene Roddenberry feel to them. So what do you reckon? Is, you know, Trek on the big screen, should that be the kind of left well, as it is I'll, now? Well, I'll, I'll go first. Um, you were with, I was with you, Richard, until you got to the Roddenberry bit. Because mm. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't, it, you know, it's a bit like when I talk about somebody like Morris Binder for Bond, that like, they've had such a key contribution and I sound like I'm slagging them off. The fact is Roddenberry, this series wouldn't exist without them. But some of the best Trek took place after his death and actually violated some of his rules, providing you you have a future that is optimistic and they work through their problems. There's no reason you can't have conflict. I don't want a Roddenberry Star Trek now because a Roddenberry Star Trek is the first couple of series of The Next Generation. And where no one has conflict ever. Well, it's fucking rubbish. It's, yeah. it's not very good. It was doesn't make better. a good drama. I, I hate to say this, but it was better after he passed away. But it was always informed by his vision, if you like. Are you asking me whether, or asking us, whether Star Trek is better on TV and more cerebral and all the rest of it? Yes and yes. Star Trek should be on TV. I'd, I prefer the TV version of it. I do prefer the following the crew week after week. I'm sick of waiting three or four years just to get some, some perfunctory adventure that is generally them racing around and fucking screaming at each other anyway. Um, yes, I, I think so. I, I can defend the film series. I can watch the film series. I think they almost belong in different universes. I, I actually, I, I, as far as I'm concerned, I think the film should continue with the alternate timeline. I just exist in different universes now because you are fundamentally servicing different audiences. Most hardcore fans will watch both, but there are there's certainly a film audience you want to reach out to that aren't really that bothered about Star Trek when it comes to TV or anything, and that's fine. The reason I bristle at the word Roddenberry is not only the things I've just said, but I think there's a superiority that isn't matched by the material when it comes to Star Trek fans. We talk like it's this amazing cerebral thing. Star Trek is full of really dumb shit. It really is. And I'm not saying it's predominantly that, but it's got plenty of it. And I'm sick of Star Trek fans looking down their nose at not only the reboots, but things like Star Wars. It's like, don't be fucking ridiculous. You're serving different audiences. But for my part, I think it's got a place on the big screen and the more small screen, but I think they serve different masters. I think they belong in different universes. And if I could have one or the other, give me TV. I don't give a shit about Star Trek on the big screen, just as I don't give a shit about Star Wars on the small screen. I only want to watch Star Wars films and I only really want to watch Star Trek TV. I'm looking forward to the new Trek series, if and when it ever appears. Um, well, it, it started off on, on the small screen, um, and it's kind of it's coming home, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, it's, it's kind of more from like episodic drama that I think kind of really drives the drama more so. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to the new TV series, I think. Um, not that the films have run out of steam, 
But I just think with the reboot series, it's kind of more... I don't know what the word is. There's more of an appetite for a TV series now. So it's kind of like back in the, in the popular domain again. Yeah, I mean, I think it's always room for, for Star Trek films, but um, but I think, you know, TV is its home. And then they, so if you had to choose between one or two, it would be TV, definitely. I think it kind of goes back to the last question as well, where you think about, about what defines Star Trek. And it's certainly a very subjective question um and what defines data to one person um doesn't to another which is why you have the reaction to the reboot films why you have reactions to shows like deep space nine which was as far away from roddenberry as possible it was able to diversify that universe even more and make it feel I suppose a greater sense of fighting that battle for the optimism and for the kind of the humanity that the series is, that Star Trek as, as a concept has always tried to push, not too successful a lot of the time, but has tried to push about the, about the strength of humanity and diversity and, um, building towards that future where the, obviously the, whether or not you believe in the, there can be a utopia or what you believe that consists of um it's again it's, it's to your own interpretation but it's kind of going from that and looking again at your audience and looking at where your audiences are on the big screen and the small screen um Star Trek Beyond kind of has started to build on it in a way the previous two films didn't and also has taken a bit more of a approach to another thing about Star Trek which is the fact that it is science fiction um, there's obviously science fiction can take many forms but certainly sometimes with the formula that there was from Wrath of Khan and then the, 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 the JJ films, the first couple of JJ films, was a tendency for it to kind of go towards Star Wars type thing a bit more. And that's not looking at the nose of it, looking down, down the nose at Star Wars, because obviously I, I love Star Wars a tiny bit more than I do Star Trek. But they're two different things. And the way that Star Wars uses science fiction um, and the kind of the trappings around that is very different to Star Trek and how it approaches science fiction. They're, they're two completely different things. And I think one the one way where there is, can, can be a feature for Star Trek on the big screen is for it to look at something like Arrival or some and things like this, which are big science fiction films that are making money and that are very, very popular critically and commercially and looking that there doesn't have to be that formula, but to look at science fiction and the uh, going towards the kind of harder sci-fi, as they call it, um, 
and more about the degeneration of ideas, allegory, and imagination instead of just making it cowboys in space. So, in summary, TV. Um, in TV good. So, it's also a danger that it can be oversaturated as well. Because you had Deep Space Nine, and then you had Voyager, and then you had Enterprise. Oh, it went too far in the 90s. It yeah. killed itself. I was only amazed it lasted like 18 years or whatever it was. Yeah, so that, I think... That's a long time of having two series. Yeah, but I think with TV as it is, where you have people like HBO and things like that, where the landscape just changed so much. Yeah, and it's 13 episodes, you know. And not only that, it, it's 13 episodes, which means it's less all-encompassing. Also, people watch more stuff now, so it isn't one of the four or five things people watch. Uh, and not only that, at any given time that linked to that, there are more episodes somebody's watching of something. I, I don't think it's as pressing a concern, no. but they they would still be unwise to run several Star Trek series at the same time in perpetuity. Absolutely. And also... Um... Don't be afraid to have story arcs. I don't think they will be now. But, uh, yeah. Okay, well, Charlie, I think we've we've all been itching to say piss off and come back for Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm I'm eager now that um, Chris has made his little revelation about Empire. Um, Yeah, very exciting. Find out all about that. About what, sorry? Empire. Do you remember he said at the beginning that... uh, that is a terrible, like it's a terrible no. film and geeks everywhere are wrong. Uh, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Yes, no, no, I'm, no. I'm joking. But, um, yeah, no, I've had a very happy time doing this. Thank you for having me. And uh... Oh, it's been it's been great, Charlie. Um, we go back to a three, which is easier logistically, although Charlie hasn't been a problem at all. But um, get, getting four people together is a little bit harder than three. But you'll be back in two series time we've got uh, Superman next and then we've got Rocky and then you'll be back to cover the entire Star Wars series with us and we haven't planned it out yet so we don't know what we're doing in terms I of I thought we were doing Batman after Rocky so you're doing Batman sorry so you're doing Batman after Superman Bat- oh hang on yeah it was Superman Rocky I have actually fucked that up because <laughs> I was going to come back for a music episode oh I sounded yeah, so are. fucking I sounded so fucking wise then and I balls it up <laughs> alright okay let's try that again you'll be back after we've got <laughs> Superman Rocky and then yes we do have Batman at the end of the Batman the last Batman episode is going to be a superhero music episode we haven't planned it out yet we'll be planning it with Charlie sort of behind the scenes until we get there it could be the longest episode we ever do it might be multiple parts we haven't got we've got no idea how long this episode might run but when you think you could talk about just the john williams superman music for a whole episode and we are going to go a lot wider than that but he's going to do that and then we go straight into star wars which we haven't planned out yet but obviously it's going to be all the star wars uh, films, i.e., episodes one to seven plus Rogue One, and yeah, it'll be we'll do eight when we get there. But we haven't decided what we're doing in terms of commentaries, music, or anything else around that yet. But yeah, you'll be joining us for that. Yes. So, um, where are we in social media, folks? At the Pasty Kid nineteen seventy six on Twitter for me. Uh, I'm on uh, Cinematronics uh, at Cinematronics, uh, uh, where you can also find uh, my. Uh, 
my website where you can find this podcast, which I rarely update, <laughs> but at uh, simtroyotsco.uk. Uh, you can find me at Movie Drone on Twitter, and uh, our website is moviedrone.thedigitalfix.com. And you can follow us on Twitter um, at Expected to Talk, um, also on Facebook, um, Expected to Talk. You can also drop us an email if you'd like to. So Expected to Talk at gmail.com. Um, don't forget to uh, get over there on the old iTunes and just type in Do Expected to Talk into the search box and give us a glowing five star review helps us get higher in demo rankings and attract more people um and we are also on stitcher as well come and join in the fun indeed indeed well, that doesn't sound very fun does it no <laughs> it's very little very tight but yeah no come and join in the fun he uses yeah. stitcher anyway i don't know uh, so. <laughs> uh, and we're also on youtube as well so visit youtube and type in expect to talk into the search box and have a check some of our uh, our exciting podcasts and all the series that we covered so far. Yeah, you can re-listen to us making rude comments. <laughs> how much we love Roger. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> and how much we hate Diane every day. I think, I think Diamonds is the one we hate with passion, isn't it? Yeah, Diamonds is probably our funniest. If you, Yeah, if you want to go back oh, and yeah, listen to some of our old podcasts, then Diamonds is probably the best I'm not a great one for talking up our own stuff, but Diamonds is a really funny, enjoyable episode. Yeah, not, this is a right moment of us blowing our own trumpet, but it's is, is quite amusing. So, we, we come back next with a little sort of buffer between us and Superman. We've got a one-off episode we're going to put out. Ooh, should we leave that as a, a surprise for... We, we we can give a general area, which means Becca... Do you expect to talk? We'll return with a mystery Bond commentary. Dun-dun-dun!